0: All righty. Well, good seeing you, good catching up, good freshening up. Indeed. And uh, now I have energy for the for the event. So let's get going. Um, I'm going to start up with a the theme song, and then I'm going to read the intro, and then I'm going to cut the theme song off because I'll, I'll fade it out in post-production, but it'll Does sound it? a little abrupt. Yeah, do your thing. And then we'll get going. Okay. All right, so... Unfortunately, until I get my, po- my my soundboard and everything going, I'm just going to share the screen and record it that way. All right. Let's get this party. Greetings, listeners. Welcome into the Nostalgia Pit. Podcast aiming to dissect pop culture, the subconscious, and other psychological phenomena through a hyperbolic and prismatic lens. Hosted by Rob Snow and Colin Cassard, mixed by Alex Riddle, and songs produced by Golden Beats, the Nostalgia Pit is available anywhere you find your podcasts. This week, we're headed. To the six. six. Yes, that's right. We're sitting down with Toronto's best kept secret super producer Fresh Kills. Welcome back, sir. If you are unfamiliar with the works of the fresh, well, after this episode, you won't be. Just about to hit the road on tour throughout Europe with his hip hop fusion band Occam's Blazer, as well as a solo stint with one of rap's best new duos, Shrapnel we figured we'd touch base with the man before he takes off on the road. So on this episode, we're going to talk about some of Fresh Kills' up-and-coming new projects, Canadian snack foods, and some of the highs and lows of touring on foreign soil. All right, here we go. Snack Tech 3.0. Bam. 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 T-M-N-T intro. Love yeah. it. Hell can yeah. I
1: be Raph?
0: You can be Teeth. Raph. I'll be uh, Donatella. <laughs> yes. I'm Donnie. Uh, I have a little bit of quirky in me, but, you know, I get serious. Uh, I like the medicine. <laughs> I like the psychology. Um, I used to be a Mikey once upon a time. But yeah. I, I've, I've, I've been more Donnie.
1: Gotcha. I definitely have the introspective, like my introspection. I, tr- I stumble over my own introspection, which is Raph for sure. Damn! I'll take it. <laughs> Although my career, my arc is more Donnie for sure. I think, but you know, I mean, we're yeah, we're it's tech tough. heads, we're studio, we're studio rats, so we're tech, we're tech, we're Donnie's kind of
0: yeah, a little bit of Donnie's, you know. Mm-hmm. Mikey, I feel like we all start out a little bit of Mikey, you know. Mikey's mm-hmm. just like the kid, in all of us, and then eventually yeah. we become one of the other three. Yeah, like as a kid, I was like a, a hybrid of Mikey and Leo, where I was like, I was always the quarterback. Went like playing you know and like the pitcher on the baseball team and so i was always you know like kind of heading up the squat so to yeah. speak when i was young and then even up to high school you know i was always throwing parties and shit and were you a and, popular kid you were a popular it. kid uh so i wasn't a popular kid but i was good with all of the social groups
1: yeah that's something i feel that okay
0: so when it came so down... So we would have to-
1: been friends. If you were a cool kid, we wouldn't have been friends. But we would have been friends. I'm the same because I I traversed a lot of different, you, you know, social circles.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah. So I liked hanging out with the, um, whatchamacallit, the, the the drama kids a lot. Drama kids are hella fun to party with. Yeah. Um,
1: I love the goth kids. The goth kids made up my core because they were... I just love, like... Hell yeah. Yeah. Something about... It's funny how my, all my friends that listen to heavy music growing up were the calmest, nicest yeah. people. Yeah, you know. And then my friends, the other cats that were listening to like fish, were like douches. Like we're like sporty douches, and I'm like, that's
0: weird. You know, we were talking about talking shit on the pre. Uh, you know, I'm just going to talk a <laughs> little not bit shit right here. Uh, let's not uh, malign fish
1: heads. I don't want to do that because I I'm have a lot of friends to. that are okay. Let's do it. I don't
0: love. I don't dislike fish heads, but I dislike. The, the the music of the band Fish. The people playing it might be great people, but is the music for me? No. Do I want to hear it? No. Will I die if I have to listen to too much of it? Yes. I have a friend trying to convert me to Fish, and I'm like... Ah. So we had a roommate. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. We had a roommate once upon a time. I will leave them nameless. But they loved Fish. They were a fishhead, And they also thought that Fish wasn't jam band enough. And so what they would do is they would take all, cause Fish would always be releasing their live shows and, 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 um, you know, live streaming them and then releasing them.
1: Yeah. Bootleg Mageddon.
0: This person, yeah, this person would download them and then take them and cut all the vocals out and just have a super jam session <laughs> and then play the super jam session and then listen to it and just be like, just just in their room <laughs> and I, it was the most noodling on a guitar is one of the most upsetting musical acts to me. I think let's I'm going to ask you what what is the, the most offensive musical uh, uh uh thing to you? Is it dubstep? A lot of people Oof. you know like
1: offensive musical thing. Ooh, so like for know. me it's
0: noodling of the guitar. It feels like masturbation.
1: It's hard to knock the thing about fish is it, it's it's difficult to knock anyone that cares that much about music like the cats that like follow the band around, like you don't want it. They've been like they'll take six months of their year and follow the band around. You don't want to be like, "What's wrong with you, dude?" You don't want to say that. I mean, anyone that appreciates music on that level, they get a buy from me on that. Like it's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um. Most offensive, but they only like fish. That's the problem. Yeah. The, I honestly think the most offensive musical thing to me is like, was like white guys doing rock rap. I think that was oh, the yeah. most. And listen, let's take let's take. The Woodstock '94 documentary out of this because '99, '99, right '99. So let's take that out because th- that's an outlier. Let's not totally blame Limp Biscuit for people getting raped in a crowd like that. Sucks. Um, not
0: their fault. That's the fault of the. It's people not entirely that put on their the, fault. Put on the. the They're the idiots. Put on the event.
1: They're idiots for people that got hurt. I mean, they started a riot. But yeah. let's take that out of the equation and just say that yeah, like rock rap. There's some rock rap stuff that is like. Ugh is cringe to me. But you know, at at the same time, is it more cringe if a, you know, like like young white suburban kids rapping on streets on street beat, like more street kind of vibes, you know, fronting, that's technically more maybe more cringy than than a white kid who grew up on metal and punk doing rock rap. Like that's more of their lane and their identity. So Mm -hmm. there's a level there where you kind of have to give a, give a buy. But like personally, I had a hard time with rock rap. I don't
0: know. Rock rap was tough for me, but at the same time, so as a white um, male growing up in the early aughts uh, when that stuff was coming out, uh, a lot of it was cringe for me, but like, I, I will say freshman year of high school, maybe eighth grade, that struck a note with me. But by the time sophomore year came around, you know, I was over it. But I, I still love Linkin Park, you know. Okay. Mike yep. Shinoda's technically not white, you know. There you go. If we if we want to, you know. And then Jay-Z a did a record with them, so that was like. Yeah, and, and I think that they're they're like. OG cosine. A really, they're really good at what they did. But there's like the yep. bad ones, the Christian Rob, rock rap is where it really got bad with me where it was um p.o.d you remember p.o.d kind of p.o.d and uh i think they did the boom here comes the boom ready or not song you remember yeah the, the, like just like that i i it, what's funny it's funny you say that because one of my
1: favorite things and like i love i mean we all i love to annoy my girlfriend i mean that's just like a thing well of course right we all love we all love to annoy girls that, you know, it's like flirting, right? We like to yeah. annoy them. Yeah. So I, there's no, I don't have any more fun than like turning up Christian rock really loud when we're on a road trip <laughs> and like singing hard about Jesus. There's just something, it's past, it's like, but it's cringed past. It's to, you know, it's satire at that point. Mm-hmm. And I do love that. And I always do try when I'm on longer road trips with my girl to try to find one, one really bad country anthem that that's like our road that's our road anthem because i just think it's so funny like um well, the last one was i got a pocket full of payday green um something like that pocket full of payday green my girls rubbing up on me or something like that and it's just the dumbest like most hilarious song and it was our oh. it was our country and my and she hated it so every time it came on i would look for it i would just blast it and she would just hate it it's
0: really fun <laughs> Yep, um, I definitely sing at the girlfriend, not to her, but at oh, her. Oh, oh, definitely, like on a regular basis.
1: I love it. Oh yeah, I'm like I do. I do vaudeville dance numbers. Like I do the whole thing. I love it. I love yeah. it. And I finished with. I I did a Christopher Cross one to her. The other she had no. She'd never heard of Christopher Cross, and so I played. Uh, um. Oh, ride like the wind. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. It's the best. And I did this whole dance, like, I slip-synced the whole song, and I finished with a helicopter. She didn't think it was going to go any further, and I just kept upping the ante, and I finished with the helicopter. 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 It was was perfect. And she broke. Like, she was annoyed, and then that was like, I broke her brain with the helicopter. (laughs) It was perfect. Uh, Shout out to Christopher Cross, who and Michael McDonald, who makes an appearance in the background vocal on that one.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Um, I just did a, I did a Michael McDonald cover for this other podcast I'm on. It's called The Outsiders Social Club, part of the Half Assed Podcast Network. Shout out to Ron. They mm. asked me to do a, uh, they asked me to do a Sounder, and I just pulled it out of my ass. But I did the Doobie Brothers song. Which one? Did the, I'll just play it right now. How about that? How about that? Is it uh? Well, there's a few.
1: There's some good choices. There's some good well, the, choices it's,
0: there. It's it it it's the it's the one. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. Like it's the, the the one the one. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, there, there are there are some. There are a couple. There's also like there's also some deep dives. There was a, a, a Michael McDonald did a. And I don't know if he, he was with the Doobie Rose when he did this, but it was a Michael McDonald song he did for a soundtrack. It was a Billy Crystal. Soundtrack with the black dancer whose name I forget, and it was like a buddy cop movie. wasn't a great movie at all, but the soundtrack's so good. And Michael McDonald did the like main theme song. It's so good. Hell yeah! But it's slept on. All right. Yeah, of course. Oh man, it's. Yeah, I was gonna say it's the one. I don't know. Incredible. It's bad though. I think it's just
0: about time for a Incredible. At the old of this that we have episode, it will be good to look back. So that's why <laughs> is a recap. This is a recap.
1: It's perfect. This is a recap. This Yes. Is a recap. Sign it. You know what? Send it to me. Hey, it's all about those custom edits, man. That's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, if you're just willing to put in the time and make the gag. You know? I want to be the Z-Trip of parody music. Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. Yep. Shout out to Z-Trip. I haven't listened to that <laughs> guy's music in a long time.
1: Mashup pioneer.
0: Mashup madness. I got to jam
1: with him. I actually got to jam with him at Shambhala. It was crazy. It was one of the, the highlights of my whole life. We
0: were... Oh, that's tight.
1: My buddy puts on this thing called the Turn Temple. Yep. And he, it's a truck that he drives around with all the festival circuits, and he sets up, it's like there's three turntable sets set up in it in a circle, and it's just, like, open, so you just go, right? If you're in the artist area, right, in the artist camp. And so, like, you'll go there one day, and it'll be, you don't even know it's going to be in there. It's just cats scratching and, and, and jamming, and I went in there with the MP, and it was uh, Basted and Z Trip and Gaff and me, and I was just playing beats, and they were scratching, and it was, like, the most, it was incredible. <laughs>
0: Z Trip, I think he has a Tom Sawyer remix that was on one of, like the last song on one of his records, if I recall correctly. Uh, Rush, you know. And Shout out
1: to Rush, Canadian legends right there. 100%. I went to school with Getty, with Getty Lee's son, strangely. I played basketball with him.
0: Was his name Freddie Lee?
1: <laughs> his name was Julian, and it was not Julian oh. Lee. He okay. took his mom's name.
0: Yeah. I assumed that Getty Lee wasn't, I always assume it's not their, you know, like that's probably not his last name. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's probably Getty Lee friend. Yeah, his last, I actually you know? don't know. Maybe that's
1: it. Maybe it was his last, maybe it was Getty's actual last name. I just didn't know. Yeah. I just thought it was his
0: mom's because I'm like, well, it's not, why isn't your name Lee? But Why isn't your name Lee? What's I, up? Like, it'd be funny to like, meet some, like who would be the funniest person that you'd meet and then assume, like be like, like weirded out that they didn't have their parents' stage name. Like, yeah. Like it'd be some, some wrestler or something like that. Like, why isn't your last name Undertaker? <laughs> I don't get it, you know. We he was in the stands. We won the
1: ISAA tournament. It was like amongst a small group of schools and we won it and he was in the stands. Getty Lee was in the stands at my basketball game. Did moment.
0: he air guitar or air bass?
1: He did air guitar and I warmed the fucking bench that day. I didn't I didn't get off the bench cuz it was a championship game and they didn't trust me. Yeah. I was a, I was a southpaw. I shouldn't have been. I was a shooting guard. I should have been and they made me point guard cuz I was a lefty and I couldn't dribble.
0: It's bad. Yep, Drib- dribbling's hard. Dribbling was always the hardest. Like, like consistently continuing and maintaining the dribble throughout the court. Like, yes, was always the hardest part in basketball for me. I was a catch and shoot guy. Really mm-hmm. good with defense, boxing out, etc. You know, I could hit threes and I could do power forward stuff. But you wanted wow. me to like, look at you, run the point. Like, it was a little bit of a yeah, it's a stretch. A it was a stretch a... for me. I was a Can stretch he... too. <laughs> so. Do you want to start um, talking about some of these? So you're about to go on European tour. I am. Oh, God, I am.
1: It's three – you know what? It, it's four weekends if you think about it that way. When you're booking this stuff, you're always thinking about weekends. You're like, okay, I need to do a weekend in a region.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so it's four four weekends roughly, uh, and uh, we're doing the first week with uh, – Premrock and I are on the whole run. And then the first week is with Occam's Blazer. Mm-hmm. Um which is this super wild group that we're in? That it's a seven-piece. We call it we call it Nomad Jazz. We we didn't have a name for it, but it basically it's a seven-piece sort of progressive hip hop jazz group. And we we met this band named. They're called Proc. P R A Q with a with an exclamation point. We met them at a we did a show in Vienna years ago, and they blew our minds, man. They were just crazy. Like it was like it was almost like. Four on the, it was like dance floor avant, it was avant dance music, avant dance jazz, they were like free jazz dance floor, it was crazy, hmm. and um, ended, it was a 2019 spring, we we finished the tour in Vienna, we spent three days in the studio with them, and my, my sax player was on a cruise uh, contract that finished, and he joined us for the show in the studio, so we had seven of us, full horn section, keyboards, drummer, MPC, and primer rock on, on vocals, and those sessions were wild. They were just wild. And it was one of those things where we're in the studio and it's funny is I'm cause I'm not in the studio doing live stuff very often, right? And so I was in the studio, we're we're jamming and we're we're looking around at each other like, is this as good? Like, do you think this is good as I think it is? Cause this is crazy. Like you're almost like so excited, but you don't want to be more excited than the next guy, because then maybe am I just excited because I'm this is new to me. Mm-hmm. The sessions were crazy, and they were so good that we were like, wow, we got to do this again. And so the guys came over the following year to Toronto, and we did three more days in the studio and and cracked out this record. Uh, so we're doing one week with them. Four of the guys are Austrian. Three live in Vienna, one in London. Prime Rock lives in New York, obviously. And I'm in Toronto with uh, with Anthony Rinaldi, the other sax player. So put it out on Fake Four. Um, big up Fake Four. They're doing some huge things right now. Congratulations uh-huh. to Chesky and the co-defendants who are crushing uh, Fat Mike from No Effects. That project's looking awesome. And uh, anyway, so really happy that we found a home for it in Fig Four, and the record's done well, and so we're going to finally get to do it live, which is scary and crazy and fun, and, you know, we'll see how that first week goes.
0: Hell yeah. So do you uh, You get there and you have a couple days to practice at least or something, you know, work out the kinks? Uh... We
1: got about 18 hours, or oh, wow. th- sorry, th- we got 36 hours okay. to practice and make it work. Which is scary, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta figure it out. I'm looking. For, I mean, who knows? We. What's funny is I was there last summer. Uh, I was traveling with my girl in Europe, uh, in Croatia, and I I popped up there, and we had two shows booked, and I landed in in uh, Vienna, and I had COVID. I immediately had COVID, and I I can't. We had to cancel all the shows, and I was a, sick as a dog for three days. It was the worst. Um, no air conditioning. I was just 30 degree summer heat, 30 degrees for all y'all Americans out there listening, 30 degrees summer heat. Uh, it was bad. So yeah, so we're, we got to practice, felt good. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I, I'm really excited. I think, th- I mean, the show's going to be wild either way. Cause we're all, you know, we're all just going to throw the kitchen sink at
0: it. That's awesome. You
1: know? Yeah. So that's the first, week. we've got four, four dates with Occam's Blazer, and then, uh, I'm doing two week more—or we- three more weekends, rather, two more weeks with shrapnel. So Ka- Curly Castro's of shrapnel. Uh, Rock and Curly Castro are shrapnel. Uh, Castro's flying into Geneva, and we're doing a couple of Switzerland dates and some France dates. And, uh, yeah, and I'll be opening doing some solo stuff there. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's funny. Everyone gets—when they see the tour dates, it's fun posting the tour dates because everybody's like, oh, you're going to Europe. It's crazy. And meanwhile, it's crazy, but it's a, you know, it's a tough, it's a slog for, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy and, you know, there's there's six of us splitting cash and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to like, I don't want to disclaim away how cool it's going to be. It's going to be great. Um, but it's, you know, it's a slog. It'll be a, it'll be, it'll be a slog. We've really packed it in. Primrock and I are pretty much the whiz kids of underground rap bookings. So we've packed the schedule full. Looking forward to it, man. It's going to be great.
0: Fuck yeah well on that note um we're gonna queue up one of your uh routines uh do you want to give a a an intro to the money flip
1: oh shoot okay so let's see how do i say this so okay i've when it comes to my routines i've real i've always tried to steer clear of routines like this because i've always tried to do there's reasons why my my routines some of the more memorable ones are Transformers and Bruce Lee and Tenacious D and, and, and Price is Right and stuff and just, like, quirky, funny stuff and nerdy stuff and kung fu, whatever. Um, just because I feel like that's more just who I am in terms of, like, you know, nostalgia and, and who I am growing up. And, like, there's a reason why, you know, I never did a, uh, uh, like, a biggie tribute routine or, you know— I sort of stayed away from stuff that I thought wasn't necessarily like in line with my personal identity somewhat. And so I I wouldn't call this one a Dilla tribute per se. uh, But what happened was I started doing shows with a trio. I I I started this thing called the Fresh Kills Trio Mm -hmm. with a sax player and a keyboard player. And we did a jazz, we did Toronto Jazz Fest. And we would go to the studio, and I was always looking for sort of jazzier things to throw at the guys. Like, okay, what can I? Because bringing musicians in on some of those like more detail routines are tougher so for this one i was just looking for chops and things that i could throw at the jazz guys that we could really like build on and what's interesting about the get this money beat uh slum village is like it's really interesting harmonically and so when i do it with the trio it's super wild because the sax player and the keyboard player are really digging in on the harmonics of it um and the crowd goes wild because they know what it is and the chops are there and so uh, I just kind of got wild with it, and went, you know, I I had an opportunity to film in the studio with a homie, and and uh, and I was like, I got to make this interesting, so I I worked all these money samples into it, and so, anyways, this is it's um, it's me in the kiln, doing my thing, um, hell yeah, doing that money flip,
0: Jeez. yeah, and we're we're gonna make sure that we drop the links um to all of the, the the songs that are played by the time this episode comes out, the new single will be out then, yeah, Cause this is coming out on Sunday, but for now we have the uh the money flip which is going to happen slum village and pink floyd <laughs> It's nice, sir. (laughs) It's a nice one. Jeez. Thank you. Yeah, Pink Floyd, one of my favorites. Um, So when I heard that, obviously, instant nostalgic ties. Mm. So there are, you know, you said that you are nostalgia- Driven in a lot of senses and things like that. So it's like using Slum Village and Pink Floyd, it's like an instant like, you know, ecstasy for a person (laughs) that likes both of those things. They're like, what? You know, that's what the thing about mashups is. It's like mashups are like, they are, it's an indescribable feeling Yes, how much fucking fun it is when the first time you hear a mashup. Like when I heard, you know, I'm not into his music as much anymore or really at all, but Bass Nectar. Like, if someone was like, hey, I got a free bass nectar ticket and he's playing down the road, I'd be like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. in. Cause that dude can put on a show. But he played a, a concert one time and he did a Jimi Hendrix Fire remix that was mm. just so warped out. And it was just like, when you can do Crazy. things like that, so yeah. fucking cool.
1: I, I, You know what's funny? I've always been a, I know it was a fad. The mashup thing seemed like a fad for a while, but I felt the same way. Like, I, I remember being at a club in Ottawa we played at, and somebody, one of the DJs, dropped like a, it was a Missy Elliott, Portishead, and Nirvana mash. Oh my god! And it was insane. It was that's totally fucking insane. And like, I wasn't on the dance floor. I was backstage. I wanted to jump over the thing and just start dancing because it was so. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know, I tend to I'm grounded in nostalgia with with my stuff t- because I I tend to want to be, I tend to want to do something that's personal to me because I feel like. I'm not trying to do the low hanging fruit, the pandering, which is why I I always stayed away from, you know, the Dilla stuff or the it's not as compelling. I don't know. I just don't think it's as endearing or compelling a thing for me to do that kind of stuff. Like I begrudgingly did a a Muhammad Ali tribute routine for CBC radio one time because they asked me to. But I felt weird about that because he died. And I'm not the guy to be doing the the definitive. Not that what I would do is definitive, but like a timely Muhammad Ali tribute. You know what I mean? Like that's not,
0: yeah, you don't have a personal relationship with him.
1: I love the, I, I love the guy, but I mean, he was, he was, you know, he was a Muslim, you know, freedom fighting, uh, civil rights, uh, activist boxer. And he, you know, it wasn't, it's not my place. I didn't feel like it was my place anyways. So I've done some of that stuff, but I always try to stay away from it. I try, I try to ground things in, in, in my identity and, and, you know, I know nostalgia is sort of a low-hanging fruit thing, but I also just love it. It's just stuff that I know. Like, if if I'm working with stuff that I know, it's going to be better. I'm going to perform it better. I'm going to have a better understanding of what it means, the context of it. That's the other thing, too, is the context. Like, you know, like, I wasn't a Yellow Wolf fan, but I wasn't a Yellow Wolf fan not because he wasn't dope or the records weren't dope, but... but i miss the context of him in some ways like i had a friend mm-hmm. explain like at the time he was doing what he was doing it was a big deal and yeah. here's why and i'm you know so much of this stuff is context so like yeah you know like i can't listen to bone thugs and harmony because they they literally sing so out of tune and i'm like it's i can't even but like what bone thugs and harmony meant to all my hood friends who all you know especially all the hood dudes that all of a sudden are like yo i can sing i can be emotional I, we can be we can be openly emotional we can express our open emotions and be sad about our our homies who have passed like that's a big fucking deal and that that's a context there's a context with that record that's lost on me I'm listening to music and I can't stand them singing out of tune but those records meant a lot so you know the context is everything so that's why I try to ground it there because at least I, if I know the context I'm comfortable working the material as opposed to like pandering because everybody loves Dilla you know. Mm-hmm
0: um speaking of uh, uh that's that's a great point that you make about the pandering um mashup or the pandering remix because yeah, you know, when a person dies all of a sudden you know there's like thousands of david bowie mashup david yes. Bowie covers or yeah. whoever you know, said artist that's dying because people are trying to uh capitalize on the, the the social media death wave absolutely which is like super dark like to think about but you know it's the same concept of like when a person dies and all the family members come out of the woodworks to try to take everything that they haven't seen in 40 years, you know what I mean? It's like people see death as an opportunity more often than not.
1: I tried like, to like do it. I, I tried like when, um, when Chris Cornell died, I worked on a sound guard or like a, a Chris Cornell sound garden routine and it sucked. So I didn't post it. Um, and then when Lemmy died, I tried to do, cause I was, oh, I fucking motorhead fan. And also just a fan of Lemmy as a human being. I read his book, white, white line fever. It's amazing. I tried to do a Lemmy routine and I didn't like it. And then the, the funny thing is, if you're too, if you're doing that, what started, everyone started to die. Like it was this crazy thing where we we started these we started legends started dropping left and right, and you can't keep up with it anyway. And it's pandering, uh, and I don't know. I, that's the other thing I I don't want to post I don't post things if they're not I don't know if they're I the standards whatever if, if I don't. This whole thing about consistency and you got to keep posting things every three weeks or every week or something. It's really hard to keep up with the content stuff in general. And so let alone trying to keep up with people dying and tribute stuff. And the interesting thing about the Muhammad Ali one that I post that I did was I was kind of like, I don't know, commissioned in some ways. Like CBC had having me on was having me on their national uh, morning show Q which was a huge honor and really nerve-wracking, and they asked me to do it, so I did. I was going to do whatever the f- hell they wanted me to do because they're going to—they're putting me on a national stage. Yeah. Um, but I had, I had trepidation about doing the Muhammad Ali tribute for those reasons I mentioned. And then when I posted it on Facebook, and I did a little boost on it or whatever, and and one of his uh, one of his daughters actually reposted it, and that was like, okay, like that's kind of like my my past, I felt good enough about, I was like, okay, cool. You know?
0: Yeah. Cause you're totally um, a lot la- like the, yeah. The, the other side of that coin, you know, us talking about, you know, or me, me putting a negative connotation on people like death eating, um, so to speak, like <laughs> death like, eating. Yeah. Well, it, it, feeding yeah. off death, you know what I mean? And yeah. it, it, the other side of that coin is like, yeah. What if the, the, like we are artists, we are allowed to express our art. If an other artist influenced us or touched us, so, in a way that's, um, you know, got to our creative, uh, you know, like inspire our creative essence. Then we are allowed to make tributes. You know what I mean? But it's just like it's that weird gray area. So I totally get what you uh, where you're coming from. Speaking of the most cringe-worthy uh, one of these that we're ever talking about, do you, did you ever hear the David Guetta brutal uh, rooftop DJ set? So brutal. Oh, awful. That was that was. It's the most cringe word like the most tone-deaf moment that I have ever experienced. Yes. in my life, it's crazy. Like I thought it was fake. I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, it is. It's like a parody. It
1: is a parody for sure. It's
0: it's beyond a parody. It's yeah. like you, Mike Judge would put that in a fucking movie about yeah. people that don't have intellect. You know what I mean? Like, what is happening right <sighs> now, dude? It is insanity. God, it's so it's such a good joke that the comedy writers didn't even think, like, couldn't even think of that. Yeah and wouldn't do it because it's so offensive as well. It's so offensive. It's crazy
1: clueless clueless shit. Yeah.
0: It's like the level of like cluelessness and offensiveness and everything, it feels almost like Tropic Thunder Robert Downey Jr. blackface level of like Oof. level like 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 making fun of itself almost, but it but then you realize it's not.
1: He's just so clueless. He, um I so when I was putting together my solo record, I um, it's great, by the way. Thank you. Well, one of the struggles I had with it was that I ha- I've had this um I had there's there's a there's a roots reggae tune on my record and um mm-hmm. I really struggled putting that record that that song on my record and putting it out for some of the reasons that we're talking about because you know like I'm this white kid from Toronto what the hell do I know about reggae now the so first of all the the artist is is a good friend of mine uh, Boozy now goes by Jagon. And again, I was struggling with like it doesn't fit on my record. It's like it's total, it's a total left field thing. What's everybody gonna think about it? You know, if people are gonna have. A, are people gonna have a similar outlook? Not that it's it's not a David Geta moment. Cringe, but someone could listen to that record and be like, why is Fresh Kills putting a, a reggae roots reggae joint? You know, on an, on his album. And in a similar way, I had was tre- I had felt I had trepidation about it in a similar way to, to, to doing the Muhammad Ali thing because I do care about this stuff and I have a I have a sense of, I have a sense of myself in that. Um, and the thing about it is this: is a, so I want I want to say, and so I am going to defend myself here and just tell you the process of it because part of what was happening is that record is, was sitting on my hard drive for like ten years, and everyone I play that record for is like, "This is a crazy! This is a hot record! You got to put this out." Jay is kind of out the game; he's a family man; he's about to have his third baby, I believe and you know at the same time i was like well you know I, the, the caribbean community in toronto this is what people don't really understand about toronto toronto has the largest caribbean community outside of the caribbean hmm. it's part of the reason why we have caribana here every year mm. uh which is a huge huge festival that takes over the downtown core Hell yeah. and but the thing about toronto that's really upsetting to me and and i've seen this play out over the years where like caribbean uh Caribbean radio programming has failed, ostensibly because of you know the white audience doesn't take it doesn't doesn't care. I basically Caribbean music and the Caribbean community. We like to pretend in Toronto that, the Caribbean that we care about the Caribbean community for one weekend where where Caravana happens, and then the rest of the year we don't give a shit, and, and that community is pushed to the side. They're, you don't see now there are there are parties there are DJs there's a lot of dance hall like you know. People are spinning that music out. It's not to say that, but, like, it generally gets pushed to the suburbs and stuff, and it doesn't really get a lot of love. And while it's not my culture, it's my city. And I came up, like, I came up listening to a lot of reggae. Like, I was I was engineering and part of, like, dance. Like, it was really funny. I was part of Ahsoka crew, <laughs> if you can imagine that. I was just their engineer. I was helping put their records together, and I would get to go to the parties and stuff. Um, but people don't really get that about Toronto. And so anyways, uh, I struggled with putting that record on my, putting that song on my record because I was like, it, I didn't want to have that David Guetta moment. And I'm not saying this to defend it. Cause I've gone through this and I've had all different friends of mine and colleagues weigh in and be like, you got to put this record out. It's crazy. And da, 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 da. Um, and so I did, but it is interesting to hear, you know, because I'm sure there's going to be a cringe moment. I'm sure people listen to the record and they go. Oh, this is weird what's this record doing on here and I had so many meetings like I had marketing meetings with, with Spotify people and where they were like well you don't want to do a variety record because the, the algorithms will deprioritize it you know you really should do like an instrumental album and then do an, an R&B th- like if you want to do it make a whole project and then and I was I, I got so frustrated with some of those meetings I was like you know what I don't care I don't care about this stuff I don't care about playlist playlist, but I don't care about the algorithms I'm going to put out the record I want to put out uh, and I believed in that song. Anyways, long segue there, but I really felt strongly about representing my city in that way and representing music that I that I love dearly. And, and hopefully, it's not a David Gettle moment. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hopefully it's not seen that way.
0: No, it's not tone deaf. I mean, I've listened to the song, and I mean, it's not like you. So, like, I think the the biggest difference. So, like, I'm not on there
1: rocking patois. That's exactly.
0: For sure. So, like, that's like the biggest difference. And so, I have this you know I'll compare it to food here in a second but yeah I mean if it would be problematic if it was um if it was like you making dance hall and like you googled like google translated some <laughs> lyrics and you were doing it in spanish yeah and you know like etc you know like that would be problematic but like if the music has like is influenced you then I'm always a, like for experimenting with that music so i think music and food are a little different so it's like i think that you can with food right like i can go because like i feel comfortable making a lot of mexican cuisine because i've worked with in in like so many mexican restaurants and worked mm. with so many you know mexican chefs and stuff like that and learned from them and things like that that i that i feel comfortable making the food yeah that being said if i wanted to go make a mexican restaurant that's where it gets <laughs> uh it gets to be questionable right you know what i mean because then i'm profiting off of it and then like the next level is like well technically i could make a mexican restaurant and make it not problematic and just be like this is my take on this stuff and present it like that mm-hmm. it becomes problematic when i'm putting sombreros on the wall and you know having yeah. mariachi bands and yeah. sopapillas with everything and you know like taking all these like Mexican restaurant things and like turning that and like selling that like with my face on it, like me with a sombrero, like that's problem. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think with music, it's like, it's a little different, right? It's like, if you wanted to make a whole reggae record, you wanted (laughs) to do patois, you wanted to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You wanted to grow dreads. You wanted to start um, saying Irie and using like a lot of like terminology (laughs) that wasn't you, then we're getting into problematic territory. Yeah, yeah. But if you make a, a a a reggae influenced, you know, hip hop song or a reggae influenced I mean, fusion song,
1: it's a roots reggae joint. And it, you know, that's the other thing too, as as a produ- the whole idea and concept of producer records, you know, yeah, like a producer putting out a record, you're sort of backseat driving that whole record in a way, you know. And so that's all. That's been hard to... And you know, I this is my first time doing that, by the way. So it's my first solo record. I've, ne- I've never done that. I've, I, you know, I've done duo stuff with the extremities where we, where we were putting out records and we put out, you know, R and B records or whatever.
0: So how long have you been making music before you put out that record? Which record? The, your solo. Oh fuck! I don't know. Like how many years was that? Twenty. It's over
1: twenty years. It's still like twenty-two 20. that's, that's years. Crazy. Some stupid amount. I put
0: out. I put out like ten. Albums in my first three years of recording. I mean, we were very different. It was all bad. They're all bad. Don't. I, I mean,
1: I've been producing. I mean, I this, but putting the artist hat on, right? Yeah. But even that, putting the artist hat on as a producer is a weird thing because you are backseat mm. driving records. Where, like, you know, one of the singles was uh, "Ain't No Ain't No Way" with Phoenix Pagliacci, Who, I mean, it's her song. I mean, I produced it, like I yeah. did the beat, a record, a mix, whatever. But it's her song you know so like that's just a weird thing where like i'm push it's a it's fresh kills ain't no way featuring her despite the fact that it's really her song so you know you you run into the, you run into issues there too where you know it's just an it's sort of awkward you know and right. so and and the the playbook hasn't really been written in terms of how to do that entirely well like there's you know it's one thing if you're doing a producer record that's a hip hop record you know like we can name a lot of producer records producer hip hop records where it's the hip hop all the way through you know even like a you know even a dj shadow record start to finish has a it's has a byline through it where you can kind of you're sort of seeing it you can he might have a a bit he flavors from all over the place but you know it's like it's a different thing putting like a roots reggae record in the middle of like a fresh kills album that's mostly instrumentals and hip hop records and so anyway i struggled with i struggled with it and at the end of the day i just believed in the music and went with that so, yeah, I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna do it. Well, I'm not gonna do a reggae record. But what I will, what I will do is because that's the thing. Like I've produced. This is the funny thing. I've produced reggae records over the years. Like we, I did a record for HR from Bad Brains with uh, my boy Modulock. Who, I mean, it's a rock steady joint, really. Um, I've done like I've done those types of records. And again, just even been coming up in Toronto, I've been, I've worked with tons of different types of musicians. Soca, reggae, dancehall—you know, different things. So, it's you know, as an engineer, you work on everything too. So it's hard. So, anyways, I just feel like we're in a new world. So what does it all mean? I'm not sure. I just try to keep a mind to it and 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 do the best I can, right? And that's yep. that's all you can do. I don't think David Guetta was doing the best he could there.
0: <laughs> no, he went full Ross Trent. You know, yeah, like, that's fat. He went full Ross Trent, and was oh like, God. oh no, you know, just the, the tone deaf. <laughs>
1: I mean, I've seen, I've went, I've been in Germany watching like dance, like white German guys doing dance hall, full out dance hall shit, and you're just mm-hmm. like, ah, Ooh. you know, yeah. what are you gonna do? But at the same time, Europe's different. I mean, you were talking about food. I remember being in Amsterdam. I was in Rotterdam, and there was a, an Italian food place being run by Lebanese people in Rotterdam.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like,
0: I don't know, like well that. That's the thing about it. It's like, I think that, um, I don't know, food is interesting because you can make a cuisine and you can sell it, and I don't think it's cultural appropriation if you're doing it the right way,
1: but... The right way, whatever that means, is the crux of the whole thing, yeah? That's the black box of your comment.
0: Like, especially in a world market right i don't think that food is um intellectual property mm. in, like in a way i think the L- culture not yet like the <laughs> culture is a different thing but the food itself i don't think is intellectual property and i think that people should be able to experience all types of cuisine at all times yeah like in a perfect world and i mean it would be i guess great if only people from those countries were making that type of food but like we'd lose a lot of types of cuisines if that was the case you know yeah. what i mean like what if, you know, and unfortunately it's just the way that the world works. It's like maybe that person doesn't have the the means or the time mm. to run a restaurant. You know what I mean? And I don't know. The problem is you have people coming in to exploit it where it's like, yeah, maybe someone in Rotterdam was like, Oh, there's no Italian food here. So let's, yeah. let's, let's do Italian food. And just because there's a, a gap in the market and there's no passion behind it. It's just a gap in the market. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's where yeah. it's just like, eh, Mm-hmm. yeah not, i get you there's no passion in it right you gotta have the passion it's like the music you know what i mean like you gotta have soul like i i was editing an old episode i compared charles bradley's music to justin bieber's music and how it's just like the soul of one voice versus the the, the stoic nature of the other voice mm. um i like i like music that has soul in it that like some of the notes aren't always perfect you know what i mean like that's where mm-hmm. you like hear that passion you know it's funny like that humanity.
1: I had a long conversation about that with about Rihanna where the thing about Rihanna that I always found hilarious was like she has zero vocal range. Like she can literally sing in th- maybe 3 or 4 keys maximum. She she's very monotone. She had like she, you know compared to Mariah it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. But what's really fascinating about her is if you if you think about she really is the voice of a generation if you look at it from the point of view that if you look at kind of an emo hipster kind of meh, you know, like the kind of lifelessness of her voice, and she's not entirely lifeless. I'm not saying she doesn't she's got attitude, she's got swag, she's got I'm not trying to take anything away from her, I'm saying she's a robot. You're but just saying the limited range. The well, but the limited range is part of it, but it's it's this understated kind of like armchair gangster kind of meh hipster, I don't care about it, I don't know what to believe in, I don't care about anything type of performance, which is actually very reflective of the current culture, so it actually speaks to people in a way, whereas you might also suggest if you were comparing her to Charles Bradley,
0: you would suggest that she doesn't have a lot of soul So, mm. I, I, I wouldn't say that necessarily though, like you listen to the right Rihanna song and like she hits the, like even if her, her range is limited, she's still hitting the notes with like it, it's it's tough because the she's so pop that a lot of the producers polish out the soul right right well but
1: so. i also think that if you look at like auto-tune is in some ways reflective of its time In in that like it it, it is there is an artistic statement to be made uh mm-hmm. with a heavily auto-tuned you know vocal and
0: i'm not anti-auto-tune either. no no i'm not like.
1: either i'm not either in fact i think there's something i think there's something about it that is um like very important. In terms of like reflecting where we are as a society and reflecting in as much as art, the great art is a reflection of its time. Auto-tune is an important part of it. However you want to, you know, however, however you want to break it down. Um, you know, the revelation that, that that T-Pain is actually an amazing singer. It's like, well, okay, yeah, That's not <laughs> he's surprising. made an artistic choice. It was an art. It was an art. It actually was an artistic choice. It wasn't like that. He couldn't sing. He was making up for it. So, anyways, he he differentiated
0: himself from the pack perfectly and made one of the smartest marketing moves like ever. Sure, sure.
1: And and I think there's something artistic too to it. I mean, it's interesting with 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 Charles, or even if I think Lauren Hill's "Miseducation," Lauren Hill, that record is is an interesting one because it bridges. It sort of bridges things where it's like. Insofar as I've heard this, we can argue about this, that hip hop production is kind of like beginner EDM production. It's kind of like entry level electronic music production, if you want to think about it. It's because it's still very steeped in like live elements and live sounding stuff.
0: I understand where you're coming from.
1: So, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill is this really cool watershed moment to me where it's like there's so much soul to that album, and yet it is produced, you know? There's a bunch of records like that, but that record sticks out like it's that that record's enduring nature i think is is part of that in some sense you know in the same way that like if you listen to portishead portishead is enduring for a similar reason too because it's like it is really produced like you're there's some sound design stuff They're they're so far ahead in, in in terms of sound design and crazy you could say it's overproduced in some senses but it's also like um I mean, it's very steeped it's it's a bridge you know Dummy
0: is one of my favorite albums ever. It's in my my uh, my desert island five. You know would be like yes. If I if, you know I'm yes. stranded on an island, uh, I would. You have, need that I record
1: ha- yes absolutely.
0: So I have four of them written down, but one of them Portishead Dummy, uh, another one is Zero Seven's. Um, oh wow! Simple things. Okay. I love I that do record. Love, I do it's love a, that record. Little, little trip hoppy, a little bit of you know like you know alternative a little bit of hip hop like kind of all in terms over the place. of being
1: alone on an island and the moods that you would need to like play spaces you'd have to live in i totally get that you need to be able to live in the the mood of dummy the yep. mood of Zero Seven in that record i i get it you need yep. you need to be able to live in that world for a minute when you're alone on an island for the rest of yep. your life
0: also uh uh sirs november okay you heard that record no i'm not as familiar but i know um I know the singles. It's great. Give that one a headphone listen. Straight like straight through. Really, okay. really good. Okay. Um, good concept to it that's kinda of buried. My fourth one would be for when I was excited and needed to, you know, get pumped up and like all over the place, but it would be balloon mind state. But I don't know uh, that a record as well. Wow, okay. Oh well that okay. And then the fifth one would the fifth Oof. one it fluctuates These are tough. So I have four right now.
1: And there's no Beatles record on there. There's no
0: Um there's no, no Beatles record on there, okay. No Beatles record. Um, I mean, I guess the White Album would end up on there theoretically if it was a Beatles record, okay. But I think that I would probably pick, I don't know, like some Bowie or Santana, okay, over over uh, uh the Beatles, yeah. Santana probably,
1: because I think a Revolver would have to be on on mine, okay, on, on a list of records. That, just because of the, th- the songs on there, some songs. That- and also, there's a breadth. There's, there's a breadth of moods there that you could live in. I think Beck Odelay is on, definitely on my
0: list, too. Great record.
1: Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I feel like Dummy would be as well, but...
0: That's I mean tough. Dummy would be perfect for being alone on an island, you know what I mean? Nighttime would come around, you turn that on. The thing is you don't want to veer into like you want
1: to be able to live in the like darkness and the pain of that record, but like you can't. You got to be careful. You if you're alone on an island for too long and you're listening to Dummy too much, that's a dark there's a dark future there, you know? Like that's that's the day where you throw away your volleyball, you know, friend, you know what I mean? And then you regret it the next day you're listening to Dummy. Yeah.
0: Yep. No, you can't get too deep into any of the records. Yeah, I, I guess the fifth record would probably have to be like a happier record. But that's the problem with me is like, like Sergeant Pepper is good for that, for example. Yeah, because you got some real happy
1: stuff in there to get you through when I'm 64. Like, you, could, you know, you could still deal with little help from my friends, you know, like there's some uplifting
0: singing about the turtle. You're just like, oh, I'm mm. singing to this turtle. He's my friend. Getting by with a little... It's funny thing. we're talking
1: about variety records, and I'm now talking about Beatles records because that's one of the things I loved about the Beatles growing up because you're listening to those records. You're like, wow, there's such a... Like, Sergeant Pepper was a trip, man. I was like 10 listening to that record on the headphones going like,
0: holy... Sh- like, where are we? Yeah. Those are, those are some of my favorite uh, moments is like when you're listening on the headphones and the genre is like in one place, and then all of a sudden, you know the dial gets turned and yeah. you you have this like where the hell am i what am i listening to where am i i remember uh you know when dizzy rascal's record um i think it was tongue in cheek came mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. um but there's like you know it it the song holiday you know it's like it's all it's all house rap right but then that that one song just goes Full on just like like Zion in the Matrix scene. Yeah. I was just like, what am I listening to? And I had to like pull up my phone and be like, what record like what is what is happening? Like when we that. were talking, yeah. I like that. When we were talking about
1: cringy records or cringy like genres, like rock rap was one of them. But Hip House was another one that people had very strong feelings for and against Hip House. It's 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 good and bad. And I don't think it survived well and it's too bad. It's too bad because there were some good hip house records.
0: Dizzy Rascal did it really well. Um, the streets in a very different el- like element yep. did it really well. But all of the like it just never got really got to the this like to the Americas, right? To Cam- no. Like it just never got out of England really. And it seemed like it was more of a or England and like Germany and stuff like that.
1: It's really fascinating to go. I used to do this and I would recommend this. If you like pick a year and a month, like, go on YouTube and go Billboard Top Ten in the UK. Mm -hmm. in whatever year it is crazy the records that make it on the top 10 like we're talking like hardcore rusco dubstep records are like peaking at number three on the billboard charts in the uk you know like grime records yep top 10 like top five records grime yeah and so i've always it's i've always found that fascinating because england always seems like and it's funny that we're talking about, we're talking about this appropriation issues and Geta, David Guetta moments, cringe moments and stuff, because in Europe, and I mentioned the food thing in Europe, but Europe, I feel like in some ways has been dealing with race relations for like thousands of years, whereas America's still younger in dealing with some of its, and you can see, obviously, how young America is dealing with some of these issues, Canada as well, the Americas, but... Um, having again just a very wide variety of sounds culturally sonically um genre-wise in the top 10 billboard on in the UK for like it's always been that way There's, you're going to hear the pop records on there but you're going to hear weird outliers you know like like i was marveling the other day that chemical brothers block rock and beats which is essentially like It's essentially just like a, it's a breaks. It's an instrumental, it's instrumental music. First of all, like how many number ones that are instrumental? That's a big, that's, that's one thing. Let alone like a big beat fucking, like hip hop, upbeat hip hop instrumental record is going to be a number one record. Like, wow, dude, like that's crazy. Yeah. They
0: have a a lot more eclectic, uh, taste in music over there. And Mm -hmm. that's why I think like, yeah. As weird and uh, as much shit that people want to talk about England as they want to, it's just like they've always – like the the subcultures in England have always put out some crazy cool music, like just like some amazing music.
1: In the, in the same way that like in Ameri- – well, I don't know. I'll make this comparison. I could be wrong here. Maybe I'm overstating, but in the same way that like in the States it seemed like – gay cub club culture, for example, people were always stealing from it, right? Like stealing yep. fashion, stealing sound, stealing yep. you know, you, you want to talk about Detroit and Baltimore. Like mm-hmm. people were always stealing from those scenes, but never giving those scenes the love. They would take stuff and they would you know and they would go elsewhere with it. Whereas like in the UK, the club scenes are leading. They're mm-hmm. leading the, the they're leading the charge and held up, you know, as you know, these are these are like these are the sounds that that people are really resonating with, and we're going to be honest with it, and we're not going to like repackage and remarket a bunch of stuff from somewhere else. Yeah, you know, because we're not in control of it or something.
0: It's because all the Puritans came over here. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and sure. so they're all like the repressed sexuality like moved across the ocean. <laughs> you know, once I mean, upon remember, a time.
1: Remember when Jay Z signed Lady Sovereign? I forgot about that. Wow. Like holy shit, right? Yeah, and it just didn't Lady work. Lady Sovereign had a moment. It just didn't work because because yeah. we weren't ready. America wasn't ready for like a five, a five foot one, you know, skinny white UK girl rocking like rocking over heavy dance stuff. Like we weren't ready for it. But
0: yeah, you know. for real, for real.
1: But she had like number one hits. She had number she had top charting records. Anyways, she did
0: fun stuff. Speaking of fusion records, should we go into the Fresh Kills Trio? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I want to play Hot Cheese to start out. Do you want to give a, oh, f- a little intro to Hot Cheese?
1: <sighs> hot Cheese just is, a, is really just a funk jam. But what I want to say about the trio is that initially I started it, and it, you're going to laugh because we're talking about all this stuff. I, I I put the trio together, and it really was me trying to package and market something where I was like, we're gonna I'm going to put this trio together, and we're gonna get we're gonna film a bunch of live stuff. And we're going to get cor- a corporate booker. That's what I wanted to do. I want to like. Well, let's do weddings. Let's like. Let's get some real money because I love playing as first kills. But it's like the underground rap circuit. There's only so much money you're going to make. And I'm getting older. And I you know, um, I don't want nicer things. I just I have to pay for more things. Um, so literally, the trio was was that concept of like, how do I make something like? Let me take this to the next step from a marketing standpoint. But it was also so on the one hand, it was this low hanging fruit pandering marketing idea but but on the other hand it was also the end of a journey that I've really started at the beginning of my career so for example like I've always like the idea that a producer a beat maker is a musician and can be in a band and can perform like that concept is really important to me and I've always tried to push forward that the idea of like Hip hop can be a live thing. Like beats can be a live thing. It doesn't have to be the static instrumental stuff. It can it can move. It can be, it can you can consider yourself a musician as a beat maker, and that's really important to me. And so the trio was this way that I could do it. Now it's a trio because trying to put a whole band together is impossible. So I was like, let me start with just two other cats. Let's get a keyboard player, a sax player, and see what we can do. Because I can finger drum all night. And so that was the concept. It was like trying to get to this point where like I can be on stage and be a musician with other musicians and we can have an actual like musical conversation on stage in front of people mm-hmm. and that, can I be musical enough and informed enough can I like because the real challenge of being in a band and again I'm a studio rat so this is very difficult for me or not difficult but it's like I have, to lo- I have a longer distance to travel in terms of being intuitive where you have to listen as much as because being in a band you have to listen as much as you're playing it's a it's a it's an in and out. You're listening and outputting at the same time, and the better musicians on the planet are have those that connection that thing like circular breathing. They have that thing going on in a way that is like transcendent. So I'm still working on that because that's not natural to me as a beat maker, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was the goal, and I think Hot Cheese was an example of. And It was funny because when we filmed it, we did a couple of takes, and they were good, but then. One of my friends was like in the studio was like, yo, like do another one, like do one more and just fucking let loose on this one. And that's what this take was. And he was totally right. And we fully let go. And I just I let go because I wasn't I feel like I wasn't listening as as much. I was worried about trying to keep everything together. And Uh anyways, that's the that's the fever pitch for (laughs) for
0: the fever pitch. Hell, yeah. Well, yeah, like you were saying, you got to trust your intuition. I mean, you have your intuition in your studio. You just have to be able to transfer that to the stage. And for all you guys uh,
1: listening, this is live. Like what you're hearing is 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 fully live. It's not it's not a produced joint.
0: Hell yeah. It's live all off right. the Cute. floor. Hot cheese. moment towards the end the look on the keyboarder's face (laughs) like for the listening audience make sure if you watch (laughs) that video look at the keyboarder's face at the end because it's stanky stank he's just like it's like
1: gross
0: (sighs) funk it's stank
1: um the whole idea of that of that song by the way because it's a real simple funk jam but the idea is that we we towards the end we drift into this atonal mess like is what's supposed to happen and so again having performed lately with that so i leading up to my release show uh november i did a couple of shows with the trio i want to get the guys warmed up i and there's uh, unfortunately different musicians now i had to get i had to get different cats because those guys weren't available but that jam we like we just went way off the deep end by the end. Like, it would start, like, super simple, chill funk, and by the end it's just this, like, cacophonous, crazy fuck Like, and it's so dope. Like, it's so fun to play it, and the crowd's just, like, you're just sort of bending them, because, like, funk is kind of like an, like, it's an international language. Like, everybody's like, funk. Okay, bang. Like, we know what funk is. We're comfortable in it. It's a groove. And then we just start twisting it, and by the end it's like a fucking car wreck, and it's incredible it's the most fun thing to play um yeah i think
0: funk is the best music live like i've seen a a lot of different Mm. musics live i think funk interesting like just the live element and like when a a band on stage like because as you were talking about you want to have that chemistry being able to communicate with your bandmates in the musical way Mm. eye contact you know like grooves etc just being in that creative space um, I think that's the reason that funk is the best live music because when a band like do you ever see Soul Live? Or you, I'm sure you're familiar with them, but yeah. I saw them live mm. 2007 or eight, and that shit just like the chemistry of them on stage. Yeah, um, good funk music is one of the best things ever. I had a, a, a some buddies just out of high school. They had a band called the Fabulous Party Boys, and <laughs> you know they never did anything F-B. like they never got famous or anything like that, but like yeah. they were my favorite funk band of all time because they had the fucking best chemistry and it would always be like everyone on the dance floor and then I would make contact with my buddy Marshall who was on drums and I'd just be over there and he'd be grooving and I'd be grooving <laughs> and we'd just be like, <laughs> yeah! like you, yeah, I get goosebumps thinking about it. You know what I mean? It's like the best best vibe that you can get when when it's like freestyling. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's that moment of, energy that if you're there for it's like it, it, it's indescribable yeah and indescribable. it feels
1: like safe is the wrong word but it there's something home it feels home like it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a great it's
0: very comforting and again
1: too part of the reason why why we we veer off towards the end is it's nice to have that home feeling it's like okay we're in a groove like let's get a good groove going oh it's great and it's just like this is our home this is our like this is our happy space yeah there's something about funk that's like a happy space a happy place feeling like absolutely. Totally. The other thing that I'm realizing listening to it back too is the balance is interesting because especially with funk too, when you're talking about you know the vocals tend to be really such, such an important you know the most prominent important element because a lot of the stuff ends up being like it's either like electronically produced or whatever. But having you know strings or horns, there's a particular human element about and timbre about those about those those instruments that is really important, especially you know, in, in, in lieu of vocals to some degree. And so what's interesting is listening to that back, there's this interesting balance where I'm playing, like my keyboard player is, pull- is playing fully electronically generated sounds. I'm playing sa- sampled live sounds. <laughs> like I'm playing chops, chops, electronically chopped and replayed live sounds, but chopped. And then my sax player is fully, like, bre- you can hear his breath, and, and there's this breathy human nature to it. So it's, just, it's an interesting balance, man. Um, and again, too, like, you know, ev- everyone loves playing live, and we hear this, right? You hear this from ours, oh, you know, love being on the road, love being, love touring, love performing. Um, there's a different thing, man, that happens when you're on stage in a band. Uh, and I, I'm blessed, I feel blessed to be a beat maker and have that, because I feel like... I'm super privileged with that. Where I don't think I think beat makers, we tend to be in our bedrooms. We tend to be alone. I mean, even a st- the architecture of a studio is singular, right? It's not. It's to be alone. You know, like you have a, one chair placed between two speakers. I mean, the whole thing. So it's a solitary, typically a very solitary thing. And so, interesting, the last few, you know, in the last decade, you see a lot more producers collaborating. There's a lot more collaboration. Um, but just that being able to be on stage as a beat maker is like the blessing of that is not... The privilege of that is not lost on me, so... Oh,
0: yeah. Well, segueing off of what you just said about going on tour, mm. um, I know that being away from the home is always tough, but what are, like... If you could say, what is your, like, favorite thing about touring in Europe, and what is your least favorite thing about touring in Europe?
1: <sighs> I think the least favorite thing is... Uh, I have a lot of anxiety about... Like, just surrounding travel, which is hilarious because of how much I've traveled. But, like, getting to the bus station on time, getting places, like, finding your way around. Being somewhere is great, but, like, when you've got a deadline, when you've got to get, like... Because the whole tour is on rails, and you're looking at the thing. I mean, the joke was, we used to have this joke where we'd look at a tour poster, that we, you know, of our tour coming up. It's like, oh, there's, like, 18 dates. And, like, where am I going to shit? For real, though. Like, that's the thing. Real. Like, I think about it. I think about it now. Now, I'm lucky that I don't have, I'm a pretty regular guy, so it's okay. But you know, I think about those types of things. I think about, you know, I've missed a flight before. I have, I have those dreams of running through airports. I hate it. Um So I think that I, I like that the least. The actual travel part is super stressful. It's to the point where we now lie to our hosts about when we have to be to the airport because if you don't, no one has the sense of urgency that you have about having to be on the airport on time. So like if somebody thinks you have to be there, you know, somebody has an opinion about when you have to be, how many, how many hours before a flight you have to be, I don't give a shit what your opinion is. (laughs) You're full of shit.
0: (laughs) Just tell them when your flight's two hours earlier. Yes. That's what we
1: do now. Um, so that's the, I think I enjoy that the least. Um, what do I enjoy the most? Um, the most, I mean, yeah, it's being on stage for sure. Um, being on stage for sure is, is the best part. Uh, and like, I think there's something else that happens in Europe where, especially doing hip hop record music in general is, uh, you, you're amongst people whose English, you know, English is a second language at best, at, at best. So there's an interesting thing that happens when you really connect with an audience that is uh, that doesn't speak English or that doesn't have, you know, that, that you're very, you're very clearly very different from. Um, and so I think those are, th- those are the fa- really favorite moments for me is when being on tour with Prem Rock or, or even just doing my solo stuff where I'm really connect, you're connecting with an audience that is, um, you know, like they they can't even speak English, but they love your rap records that you make. You're like, what? this is crazy. Like that's, there's something transcendent about that. And there's something, uh, you know like i remember we were standing outside uh uh we pre- were performing in amsterdam we were standing outside the club and, and people were passing a joint around and we were just finding out where everybody was from and there were 9 different countries being represented in this circle passing this joint around and i just remember being like that is like what is going on that's crazy and it, that's another experience by the way that is very that's also quite rare in 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 canada and the states Uh you know like that stuff doesn't happen whereas like in europe there is a lot more you know people are traveling culturally people are moving around like if you're in if you're in downtown toronto and you run into like a couple of guys that are german speakers that that can't speak english very well that's a different more rare experience right uh versus uh maybe you know new york's real real metropolitan for sure but like You know, when you're in a when you're in a club in Europe, there's literally there's nine different countries. Like there's like 18 different languages being spoken in the club, and so I think I love those moments the best, where you're like, the the, like the the, somebody comes up to you after a show and they're trying to express to you how much they love your show, but they can't. You don't understand what they're saying, and they're just like, uh, you know, I think I think those are the best moments.
0: Hell yeah, I've always heard that European. Hip hop shows are gen- generally uh, better and more fun to perform at and for than American hip hop shows. Mm-hmm. You know, Canada can fall into that category as well. Um, yeah, not just the United States. Yes, the North America, North American hip hop shows. Would you say that th- that reflects uh, your experience as well? Like, are are European tour uh, shows generally more fun? Um, it seems like, yes, from afar, it seems like they embrace hip hop more as a culture than a lot of places do here.
1: Well, so there's a couple things like one, they fetishized it a bit, right? Hmm. So Mm
0: -hmm. that's an interesting way to put it, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: They've definitely fetishized American rap. Okay. Um, and that's evidenced by, and I'm going to be careful here because there's, that's evidenced by, so for example, there are artists and Prem and I have, pretty strong opinions about, about some of this stuff. But there are artists who go over to Europe, uh, black hip-hop artists that go to Europe, and they tour Europe exclusively, and people are like, oh, my God, and they've totally been fetishized, and they're they're... Meanwhile, and nobody in New York where they live knows who they are or knows what they do, right? And there is some of that in Europe where there's people that do really well over there because hip hop is fetishized over there. Black culture is fetishized over there to some degree. So there are there are there are those who take advantage of that and again, however whatever you want to whatever your opinions are on that, that's a reality that happens. I've seen we've seen it happen a number of times. We've run into some of these people. Uh, we always felt that was weird, you know. It's always seemed kind of weird, but at the same time, it's like there's a gap in the market, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. So there's definitely an excitement about about Amer- going to see American hip hop, you know, if you're a young woman, uh, in the, if you're a young woman in New York, what are, what are the options of things that you're going to go out to on a Friday night, right? You maybe go to a retro club, you go to a new club, yeah, you go to a live show, you know. Uh, in Europe, like going to see American hip hop is like a thing. It's a thing. It's like a uh, destination. Yeah, it's a it's an event. It's something t- people, you know, it's 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 a rare. It's more rare. So we should take advantage to go see it. And so—and there's also—there is. There's a craving for people that are doing it, quote-unquote, authentically. So you get over on that to some degree, and so there is an excitement around that. Um, I do think that's true. I also would say—I I, want to check myself here and say that, like, again, I'm older, and I'm definitely more true school with with, with what I do. Um, and so I cannot—what I cannot speak about is is what the youth culture is doing over there. So, like, I'm—I'm I'm very sure— that there are crazy like you know one of my first times I ever went to a real trap show in New York and I saw these kids like going ape shit over trap music in a way that I'd never really seen and it really was like a punk rock crazy it was it was an unbelievable show and was really important for me to see it because when you're listening to the stuff on the radio you're hearing it 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 sounds understated it doesn't sound like high energy meanwhile you go to the club and you know there's, they're throwing water bottles all over the place. People are jumping. The roof is going off the place. Yep. And so those are experiences that are happening. Those are shows that are happening that I don't know. So I don't want to speak. I can't speak to some of that stuff. I'm sure there is slowly but surely, whatever, not slowly but surely, but th- there there is that going on that I can't speak to. I just know that uh, there's definitely an excitement for boom bap and older school sounding stuff, true school mm-hmm. stuff. Underground stuff, more esoteric vibe stuff over there than there would be in the states and the Americas for sure
0: yeah, in the states um so i'll say I'll make this statement, and it has nothing to do with the actual music itself, but the live show, like going to see a trap show like newer hip hop versus old like older hip hop in essence, is like so different and you're right. the first show that I went to where I experienced it was Absol playing in Seattle. And Earthgang and Boz were the two opening acts. And that was, like, before either of them were, like, you know, I don't think J. Cole had picked up Boz yet. And Earthgang, for sure, hadn't, you know, become nearly as big as they were. Yeah. But that show was the most, like, the most crazily energetic rap show I've ever been to in my life. Yeah. So fucking fun. Yeah. So So fun. So fun. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and those guys are all like, those are guys were all, you know, underground trap adjacent, right? Sure. Where it's like independent trap adjacent, where there's still like really good MCs that could appeal to like, they they do that J. Cole kind of appeal on both sides, you know, to the underground yeah. and the mainstream. Yeah. But that show was great. But um, I think that I'm not really sure exactly. I think there's just a lot of cultural reasons, but like the perception for a boom bap show. In the states, is that you have to like wear your nice dunks, mm. you have to be upset if anyone scuffs them, you have to stand there, you have to be emotionless, and like nod your head or something like that. But there's like no dancing. There's like yeah. there's a lot of the. I think that when um, when hip hop pushed the disco side of hip hop away, yes, and became strictly the gangster side of hip hop, mm-hmm. it became like oh you're gay if you're dancing. And so they sh- entirely shunned breakdance culture. They entirely shunned um, um, like all of the disco electronic side of hip hop, and yeah. it became just this boom bap thing on a mainstream level.
1: Yeah, and they slowed it down, um, yeah. and they made it not. To- and so, I- I- interestingly enough, you see this on the festival side of things, where um, like an artist like Eloquent, um, who's like an incredible beat maker and does like slumpy down tempo instrumental music. When you go to these festivals, like that, like Eloquent's like one of the best in the world at what he does. He happens to be a homie, but he's one of the, he's just so incredible at what he does, right? And he's, he's one of the best in the world. And yet there's no space for him at these festivals. There's no, like, even in the, ch- even on the chill out stages, right? Cause every festival have a chill out stage. You're going to hear groups like Odessa or Emancipator. Um, you're not going to hear like down tempo beach stuff ever anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think part of that is 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 is, well, I think it's a I think it's a fallacy that that music isn't danceable. I, I don't think that's true, but I think that it has been maligned in the same way that you're saying where where that dance element was pushed away. We're not we don't want to we don't want to get jiggy with it, right? Like that everybody talks about the jiggy era. Like, you know, we, we like to make fun of the jiggy stuff. It's like we just want to dance a bit, bro. Take it easy, <laughs> you know. Like that's really all what the jiggy era was. Like yeah, just partying. Can Party we music. can we dance to hip hop music, please? God, can we not have these like awkward moments in the club uh, or violent moments or whatever you want to say? Now again, there's a whole that's I can't speak to that's that, a, but that's a whole other whole yeah. other argument. Whole other discussion. I think
0: that's that's like the biggest reason why a lot of this stuff disappeared is because of this like fear of the retaliation, and I think a lot of that comes from yeah. like de la soul. You know, and and when De La Soul put out an album, and then the the record company put it out as hippie artwork, and then they got jumped in the club, or they got in a fight in the club, and had to defend their masculinity, right. Because they dared, or whoever dared, put out an album that was, yeah, not even effeminate, but just had flowers on the cover. It was conscious, and yeah. and also credit
1: De La for because they all they had upbeat dance records too. They had yep. danceable rap records that were great.
0: Um, yeah, those first two, the first three records are perfect in my opinion. Yeah. Just perfect perfect albums.
1: I do think that that isn't th- th- I mean that's part of the reason why in the in Europe American hip hop is a thing because it is a different thing and as we said club culture really does kind of dominate in in mm-hmm. Europe a lot more. Um and so it not being a danceable medium as much makes it makes it harder and maligns it somewhat. Um And if you look at it now, I mean if you look at what sh- shrapnel and Backwoods Arm & Hammer, um, a lot of these, these, these groups, very dark, very esoteric, like they've, they've doubled and tripled down on it.
0: Yeah. Billy Woods, you know, like,
1: but, but it's interesting to see because you like they're packing rooms and, yeah. and, and they're packing rooms doing really, again, dark, down-tempo, uh, esoteric, uh, dense, uh, very Afrocentric, very, uh, very political very social very very socioeconomically politically uh, historically um, informed and you're seeing people pack rooms to come and and listen to it and take it in and they're and they're listening like they're listening to the rap stuff they're, they're listening hmm. to the lyrics they're you know I, I find that movement very in particular fascinating because it does go against a lot of the things that we're talking about um, and so they the success of that uh, you know backwoods uh and and the artists involved shrapnel included and others is inspiring on some level now it's hilarious because some of it doesn't speak to me you know some of it is too esoteric some of it's too dense you know yeah. like i think elucid's a genius um but like i can't always bump his records you know what i mean like I, there's specific places and times that i'm gonna feel like listening to those records you know uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, I feel like those I feel like the Arm and Hammer records are incredibly important records. The things that they're saying, what they're expressing, how they're expressing it, it's like it's important and it and I, and I'm excited about it and it's 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 inspiring to me.
0: Oh yeah. Sorry my cat. It's perfect. Um I'm gonna take a uh I gotta go to the bathroom real quick. Yeah, I gotta do and the then, same thing. And then and then I'll come back and we'll talk uh I'll come back and we'll talk uh, uh the, the snack foods real quick and then and then you can take off. Okay. Okay, cool. Before he gets back, we're going to play another Fresh Kills flip. This one is of Brandy's Should I Go. This is a live remix. Once again, Kills always does his stuff live. This one he recorded on an island in Croatia, Starograd. So let's here check this one out right now. (gasps) Yeah. Again, that is Fresh Kills doing a flip of Brandy's Should I Go. Once again, we'll have all of the links to all the songs in the description of the episode. Fresh Kills. One of the greatest. Check them out now. All righty, we're back in action. I played the uh, Brandy Flip while uh, you were gone, so... Nice. The radio or or, or the pod listeners will get that. Nice. Dropped a little preface. Huge fan of Brandy. What is your uh, before we go into the snack attack? What's your favorite country to uh, be in? Because I've always wanted to go to Croatia. Looks beautiful. It's
1: unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, Croatia was. My girls had been there in the past and uh, was a huge fan. I wanted to go back, so we went, and it. Yeah, I, I think Croatia's is it. I mean, it was so beautiful. It was um, reasonably priced, you know, um, and just gorgeous um, everywhere. You know, and it was funny because I, I, you'd think if you had to choose between like um, white sand beaches and you know uh, rock beaches, you'd want white sand. But the the rock the rock beaches there were just so clean and beautiful. Um, the food was unbelievable. Um yeah, Croatia was was something else. Um I, I I would say I love Hungary as well. My family's in my fam- my mom's from Budapest and uh I I just I love Budapest. I love Hungary. I spent some time there when I was a kid and I just just love it there. It's so beautiful and old and and yeah. kind of like uh I don't know how to say it. Like it, there's something there's something broken about Hungary that is—it's sad and beautiful at the same time. Like it's—it's mm-hmm. it's been you know, like the <laughs> the dark specter of Russia has loomed. It's it it's for its whole history, and it's like there's this there's this strange sort of um, sort of sad broken feeling to it that makes it really beautiful. I don't know how to describe it other than that.
0: No, I I, I get what you're feeling. Like I love like a dystopian. Um, post-industrial revolution <laughs> yeah. middle America town yeah. that is just like full of d- abandoned factories or like yeah. the ports you know in a lot of cities where just like all this manufacturing or, or shipping used to happen and then it's all dried up you know like mm. I love that it's, it's weird something about it, it it's eerie and it's beautiful at the same time
1: Portland Maine has that vibe and I love that city so much I don't know why but it's a small port town and it's just super artsy and wonderful and always love being there it's one of my favorite places
0: one of like three states i haven't been to okay i have always wanted to go um so let's launch into some uh, snack attack, snack attack action here and <laughs> talk about a little canadian snack foods okay. maybe some some road treats something you you enjoy sure
1: we always snack it, snack attack,
0: we always snack it, snack attack. We always snack it, stack attack, we always stack it, stack attack, we always snack, stack attack, we always snack it, snack attack, we're always snacking. That's right, it's snack attack. We're here three point oh Bringing it back. We're going to talk Canadian snack foods with our boy here, Fresh Kills. Because as you might know, or may know, might, I said a mixture of may and might, um, you may know that I grew up in Bellingham, Washington, very close to Canada. Yep. So a lot of Canadian snack foods um, I had a chance to dabble with once upon a time, but I've always been slightly fascinated. I know that there is a fascination in the States about... Like, the chip flavors and oh, things yeah. like that. And they even made, like, a Letter Kenny episode about it. I tried to watch the Letter Kenny episode about it, and I, it was horrible. I don't <laughs> know if you've ever watched Letter Kenny. <laughs> no. But that was the only episode I've ever watched, and I've been told by people who like it that the new seasons are, are really bad. <laughs> but that, I just turned that shit off. I was yeah. like, Pff. But point is, we got a lot of Canadian snack foods on the board. What's your take on ketchup chips? <sighs> I mean,
1: I, I remember – I can remember the first time that I tried ketchup chips. And it was like it was back in the day when they had it was Hostess and they had um, they had these wrestling cards in them. I was big into wrestling, Hell yeah. so like you get you get you get bag of ketchup chips and then you get a, just Jake the Snake Roberts card in there. It was awesome, but I literally remember eating ketchup chips and my mind being blown. Like it was like my third eye was being pried open. Like ketchup chips opened some kind of like it just candy. Snack foods just took on a new meaning once I had tried ketchup chips. It was like a total mind blowing thing. Um, Hell yeah! And you can't eat too many of them, or you get the. It's like the. It's like the salt and vinegar. It's like you can't eat too many of them. You get canker sores. But I would eat them. I'd eat them, canker sores and all. I just so so good.
0: So I I ordered a uh, a box of Canadian chips. So I have two boxes, two bags <laughs> of all dressed, one bag of ketchup, one bag of. The sour cream and bacon baked potato ones. Oof! And then I have a bag of uh, the barbecue. So, will you tell me what is the difference between Canadian barbecue and American barbecue chips, and is there any difference?
1: So, I have a really. There's an interesting thing about barbecue chips in in Canada. So, and and again, it's weird. We mentioned Hungary because the the barbecue chips that everybody knows now aren't the ones that I had growing up. The barbecue chips that I had growing up were were hotter, they were spicier, and they were much more savory, less sweet. Um, So that's one thing. So, like, now when I go to the supermarket, I buy spicy barbecue chips. Those are the barbecue chips I had when I was growing up. I don't know what they are in the States per se, but that that was the first thing. And then barbe- the barbecue flavor changed. So the barbecue flavor that I think y'all are familiar with in, in the States is uh, a sweeter variety, which I didn't have until—and here's what's interesting. And I don't know whether this came from Europe, but when I went to Hungary when I was a kid, they had paprika chips. And paprika mm-hmm. chips are the barbecue chips that you now have that I didn't have until I went to Hungary when I was 9 or 10. And they're sweeter. Uh, they're less spicy. They're more sweet. And I don't know whether they came from Europe and that was the thing. like That's how it happened. But those were those were common in Europe, but weren't common here. And then they became the flavor of barbecue now, which we know. Like the Lay's mm-hmm. barbecue chips, those are paprika chips from Europe. Uh, and in, in particular, <laughs> you know, Hungary is one of the main exporters of paprika in the world. And so just paprika everything. Like I love chicken, pepper, cash, and I love guillage, which has a ton of paprika in it and stuff. So I, I came up mm-hmm. on that. And so... I just always thought that was fascinating. I was like, I felt like I that was like I saw behind the I was I was pulled behind the veil there for a minute. I was like, I knew this before everybody else knew it. Yeah, uh, (laughs) or something. uh,
0: So my favorite barbecue chip was one that Tim's Cascade brand, and that was a Pacific Northwest. I think it was Washington State, and they've been bought out by you know Lay's or something at this point, and probably international. But they used to have an Alder smoke Mm. barbecue. And it was specifically alder flavored, and it was like my favorite. But uh, yeah, the barbecue chips. I'm definitely a proponent of the spicy barbecue. I'm not as much of a fan of the, the sweet. I
1: mean, I like the sweet because you can just eat. You can eat a whole bag of it, and not and just it just can happen. Like you're all of a sudden you're full, you're just eating a whole bag of it, and you're like, wow, what did I just do? But I gotta say, like once they started doing the kind of like mesquite vibe, the smoky mesquite barbecue, I just love it. I just love all types oh, of those. Good. Um yeah. A question I always had was there, cuz there was a hot minute where where the spicy nacho Doritos weren't a thing in the states at first. And they were by far my favorite brand of Doritos. Yep. And They're good. when in the states I couldn't get them and then I would I would crave them. I'd come home and I would binge spicy nachos. Um they have them now. You guys have them now. But yeah. they were I think they were only in Canada for a while and they were so good. And maybe we were the demo market for it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, they're fantastic. Now they have the Flamin' uh, Hot, you know, like they've done the Flamin' Hybrids, you know, where it's like the Flamin' Hot Cheetos flavor done on everything. And, like, I like the the Flamin' Hot Doritos. Those are good. Uh, I like the Flamin' Hot Cheetos. But then again, but then everything else is like I'm not into the hybrid. Like, I like spicy stuff, but, like, the Flamin' Hot Funyuns, gross. Flamin' hot smart food popcorn, gross. Hmm. Flamin' hot puff Cheetos, gross. Like flamin' hot Cool Ranch Doritos are the one that I haven't tried. Yeah. But they do flame everything yeah. now. You
1: know? The the one flavor of chip that I'm super addicted to and hilariously my Aquamus Blazer guys are when they came over, they just fell in love with it. There's a it's it's made by President's Choice, which is funny because it's a Canadian brand called President's Choice. Hell yeah. And it's a President's Choice Loads of Flavor, and they have a bunch of— Loads of Flavor? It's called of Loads Flav- of Flavor, and they have a, a few different flavors, but the Loads of Flavor Sour Cream and Onion is just unbelievable, and I crave them. And they're just—because I feel like it, the Ruffles—so like, it was the Ruffles Sour Cream and Onion I loved for a long time because they, like, overloaded the, those chips— And then they downgraded it and stopped doing it. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, these chips were so good, and now they're just whatever. They're skimping on the flavor crystals. And the loads of flavor President's Choice brand are just – they're so freaking good. And my Austrian friends want me to bring a bag over. I don't think I can – I don't think I can even do that. I don't think it's legal for me to do it. I'm not sure. So I'm going to try to figure out a way to bring them the PC loads of flavor uh, sour cream onion chips if I can. But I don't know if I can. But they do loads of flavor ketchup, which is also like – canker city but awesome okay
0: i'll have to look and for there's them.
1: like there's a few other ones i don't know that i mean who knows maybe you can get them in bellingham i don't know but the the one other thing and this is chips adjacent this isn't chips but when i was so i go to louisiana twice a year because my girl's from uh shreveport and her stepdad gary is is a pepper guru like he's he's like serious like he grew all the primo peppers for the popeye sauce he is the custodian of of Two or three strains of pepper that only he has. He's he's currently he's currently ha- he's currently cultivating a fifth generation of a particular pepper that he is the only one that has it. Um, and he's super serious. And so when we were down there, I always love going down there because we pick peppers in the garden. We and it's just Pepper City, and blow our faces off, and we have a good time. We'd have a good time I with it. I
0: love peppers. So
1: we we're at the we we're at the store, so the supermarket. So we went down there, and they had this like discount bin or whatever of stuff. And they had spicy cinnamon toast crunch cereal, and I was like, "I gotta try this. It's this ridiculous right and i'm I'm there with gary i'm I'm in Shreveport. I' was like, I wonder if Gary's ever tried this, and so we brought him home, and I had a bowl of spicy like and they were hot, man, I'm telling you, like they were not like and, and again i'm I've actually uh, over over the course of the last couple of years i've I've learned to deal with heat, like I've gotten better with it, but they were hot. And the thing is, when, when you have like a spicy thing with a bowl of milk, it was immediate stomach queaser. Like it was just, it was the worst. It, it, it was probably one of the grossest things I've ever eaten because you're eating it and it's yummy. Yes. Those are the ones.
0: Cinefuego Toast Crumb. I'm
1: telling you, like you should try them. You should try them, but don't like for example or try them if you want to try go this far but eating them is wonderful like just eating them like dry yeah but eating them in a bowl of milk no is like the dumbest thing and it's the it was honestly it was so gross like i i didn't throw up but i i definitely had i felt queasy for a good hour afterwards i was like this is crazy
0: Oh, uh, that's disgusting. I can think, like, <laughs> I eat, Selena and I will get a box of cereal periodically and, and just snack on it, and, you know, that's, so, dry, dry cereal I can, I can get down on. Um, that being said, there's a lot of, like, those experimental items like that, where it's, like, if someone gave it to me or, like, had some, I would happily try it, but it's, like, with the price of snack foods at where they are, mm. I'm like, I'm not willing to spend money to try out these right. things
1: anymore. Like, a $5 you know? bag of chips, like, get out of here, man. Get out yeah, of that's here. what
0: I'm saying. It's like and and they have they've uh lowered the size. You know, there's less chips in all of the things now. And they're it's skimping
1: like, on the flavor crystals and you're kind of like
0: Yeah, going off of the spicy nacho Doritos. Oh, yeah. Um you get the personal size bag and the flavor is is perfect, but then if you get the mm-hmm. big bag, like they're skimping yeah. on the flavor. And it's just like it's it's not the same ratio. Right. And it's like what what, I, what is I, happening? One here? of the not snacks
1: enough. that I survived on a West Coast run with was cuz we we would go to Trader Joe's and what i was doing was i was cuz they would at trader joe's they had all these different types of hummus and all these different flavors of dips and hummus and tahini and everything else and i would mix and match i would buy a bag of chips i would buy two different flavors of bags of chips and i would buy two different hummuses or something and i found that the mesquite barbecue chips with the trader joe's uh jalapeno hummus so bomb like so bomb like something about the smokiness and like the cool the coolness of of the hummus but it's still jalapeno spice and the smokiness of the barbecue mesquite i'm getting like i'm getting goosebumps and what we would do is we would hit that and then we would you know we'd be going down the pch and we'd grab a bunch of blueberries and like that i that's i had for lunch i would have i would have that for lunch and it was just the bomb absolutely love it i miss it my mouth is watering thinking about it right now it's crazy But um, mixing and matching—that's another thing, by the way. Spicy barbecue. We did this. We did the flaming hot uh, cheese—it or uh, the the Cheetos uh, crunch ones. You do the flaming hot ones with Cheese Whiz, and it's
0: like—it's just that's just that's it's insane. (laughs) It's insane,
1: but it was—it's Flavor City. I mean, oh god, it was so good. Um, that's another snack, snack hack. Um, let's see. I don't know. Well, okay. This is another one. Here's a controversial one is I love the lime flavored, uh, nachos, you know, with, with salsa. Like I just love the na- lime flavored. It's really great. I don't know why. Oh, the
0: lime flavored Tostitos.
1: I love lime flavored Tostitos. There's a whole bunch of different makes now.
0: Those are make or break, um, where like people either love it right. or they don't. I'm not a fan, I think, but I also haven't had them with an adult palate. Like, so my my impression of them was as a kid, I was like, what the fuck is this? And so I know your palate changes every seven years, so I'd be open to trying Yeah, it.
1: I, I think, so you know, with salsa, it, this is controversial, but, like, I would try this because this is also a snack hack where, you know, a spicy nacho Dorito or a Cool Ranch Dorito with salsa, it's, it's, it's kind of bomb, man. Like, mixing and matching those, I've had a lot of fun doing it. Zesty, doing zesty with nacho is 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 definitely not cool. It's too much. It's over the top. It's crazy. But like cool ranch with spicy nacho with spicy salsa, pff, wonderful. Depending on how you depending on how you want to mix up your salsa, you know you do a layer of sour cream, then the salsa, then you know whatever you want to do. But adding the spicy nachos with that with the sour cream underneath, cheese on top, whatever. I have I have like a bottle. I have these little vials of uh from Gary, from my girl's stepdad, of uh he'll like grind up, he'll take a pepper, like one of his hot pepper primo variation peppers, and he'll grind it up and he'll give me a little vial and I'll just like I'll just kind of like uh season a nacho plate with them or a salsa with them. Hell yeah. And that'll take it up a notch, but again, if you put the if you put the sour cream underneath and then you do a cool ranch with cheese on top of the salsa and like a bit of the bit of the pepper specs. Whew, flavor country man Ooh.
0: flavor country so president's choice you mentioned um yeah is old dutch any good i've never been an old dutch fan i don't know maybe i just had the
1: wrong ones i mean i do have a thing for like i love dill pickle chips but i like the creamy yeah. dill pickle chips i don't love as much love the dry ones only it's kind of like canker city for me sometimes and i if i'm gonna go that route i'd rather have the like softened creamy dill vibes Also, I mean, look, I mean, creamy dill dip is just, what can't you dip in that? It's like,
0: it's great. It's a good dip. It's a good dip. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, What about uh, All Dressed? All Dressed, it came over to the States for a little bit, and then they stopped marketing it, and I was a little upset about that, but I definitely remember having them as a kid, and they're delicious. You know what's interesting?
1: There are people that are just, like, crazy about All Dressed. They just... Like they won't even have any other chip. Like there's people that I know that are just they're just crazy about them. It just never hit me. It never did it for me. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what I'm missing. Here's something I will say though: all dressed chips with like an with like an olive hummus. It's fucking bomb. So the idea though,
0: you know the, the idea
1: there being. <laughs> so I mean, here's what we love. We we love this is that is a thesis I'll write later, but. Because we love this in all different ways. We love, we love, we love something uh, that's exciting or spicy or loud or whatever being tamed by something else. So, like, you know, we love spicy stuff with cheese because there's a war going on in our mouth because the, ch- the cheese is taming the spice. So that works in all ways. So the all dress the, 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 peak, the peaky, you know, kind of spiciness of the all dress being cooled by the, the hummus is a really nice match. In the same way that we really love the sound of like, like we love the sound of a distorted guitar because it's like a, it's like this, it's an overdriven sound being tamed through the capacitor, right? We love the sound of compression because it's a loud sound being caught by this thing, you know? Um, so there's something about that in our minds, we, you know, where it's like, t- I don't know whether it has to do with. The duality of life, where you know, the older that you get, the more mature you get. You you begin to understand that two opposites can be held true at the same time. There's something philosophical and kind of like the yin and yang of things is is, is fascinating and true. Uh, maybe that has to do with with our interest in the flavors working the same way, and maybe that's we like we enjoy the sounds of it too. I don't know. There's a there's a there's a there's a PhD there for somebody to write
0: something. Someone's going to someone's gonna have a dissertation off this.
1: You know, two opposing things being held together. It's like,
0: you know. Uh, what about chicken chips? Are you a fan of the chicken chip?
1: I was a sour cream and ba- – Ruffles sour cream and bacon was a big thing for me for a long time. Um, I don't know that I'm, I've really gotten on the chicken train with it. I haven't really gotten a flavor that I've loved. Yeah.
0: That's the one that – I haven't found one that was, was – uh, it to me, when I had chicken chips the first time, it tasted like chicken top ramen packet and – and chip, yeah, and maybe that was just the brand that I had, but I was like, oh, I mean, I'm okay with that, but like, it wasn't anything to phone yeah. home
1: about. I, I'm not crazy about it. I, well, I mean, there are. Well, what is it? I mean, the hickory sticks kind of have like a chicken, a chicken flavor to them. There, I have had a smoky chicken. Well, the, sorry, the smoky bacon chips I like. I mean, I like the bacon flavor things. I got a nickname. Well, I don't say a nickname, but it was like a. I was driving. I was on the tour with Timbuktu of Swamp Thing, and. uh and I think I was, I can't remember, I think Ghetto Socks was on that tour, but I was driving, to, we were driving to Ottawa, and I had a bag of, like, the Extreme Doritos, and I, you know, I do that thing at the bottom where it's like you, you have all the crumbs at the bottom in the corner, and you, you know, tilt the bag up, and you have the whole thing. But I was driving, and so when I did that, I nearly drove the car off the road, and it was, and it was, <laughs> my damn, it was Tim's car, and he's in so, shotgun. And it was insane, he was, like, freaking out. And he called it because it was I had the extreme cool ranch. And so he was he called me off road ranching. It it was I was off road ranching (laughs) from that point on was that was the thing. I nearly I nearly died because of the Dorito (laughs) extreme Dorito chips.
0: Yeah. in those moments you're just like, hey, grab the wheel for a second. Dude, it's really hard because the top of the
1: car isn't enough room. So you have to duck down. No, no, exactly. It's really awkward to do. So it's dangerous. <laughs> you gotta
0: tilt it. You it's tilt dangerous, it and you and...
1: can't fold the bag in any other way. You have to keep the bag at its full length. You actually need some clearance to get it to, to get it to yeah. work in a car.
0: Yeah. Uh, usually, you save it for later.
1: That's right. Have you ever met the? Have you ever have you ever had a friend that just takes an entire bag of chips and crunches it into crumbs and eats it as crumbs? Ever ever had one of those?
0: I did that in <laughs> third grade. <laughs> yeah. For like, people were like, "Hey, I'll give you a you know a dollar." It was like the ninety nine cent bag of hot hot uh, flaming hot Cheetos. And they were like, "Hey, I'll give you a dollar to do that," and a bunch of people chipped in. So I got twenty dollars to crumble it up and drink the whole bag. That's pretty great. It was, I mean, this is you know, nineteen ninety six, grade three. Yeah. Like, like, let's just say that twenty dollars went a long (laughs) way. That's
1: right. You buy a lot Uh, of candy. Oh, a lot of ketchup chip bags, full size candy.
0: Yeah, exactly. A lot of ketchup chips. What about storm chips? Have you had storm chips? Are you familiar with those? No. What's that? So apparently, storm chips are a um, a variety of different flavors, but the the they're not mixed together. So essentially you get a bag of chips and they have some chips that are creamy dill, some are ketchup, some are barbecue, some are salt and vinegar. And they're all four different styles of chips thrown in a bag together. They're called storm chips. I was reading about them. I was like, okay, I guess this is a thing. I mean,
1: add. are we to take from the fact that we – they're, i'm not familiar with them and and that, that that maybe they haven't worked as a as a uh that they're not that they don't work that it's not good that they're well, not as popular as they should be
0: you as a native canadian um have never heard of yeah. them and they are on a list that that's a bad sign is not canadian um <laughs> this person's drunk they were stretching let's just uh, try <laughs> to get that click um okay what about uh are you familiar with the donair i know it's not a chip yes but they have donair chips I haven't
1: had donair chips but but the donair was is a thing in, in in Halifax and the east coast it's totally a thing it is a i mean it's basically a, a hero wrap but there's specific donair sauce which is a little bit more like is it tahini sauce is really garlicky it's donair sauce is like a it's a it's an understated less garlicky more hollandaise um kind of sauce mm. It's sort of a particular. It is a bit of a particular taste. Like I know people that are really not into it. Um, but in terms of a drunk food, it's 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 great. I mean, we th- that was our. You know, you get a doner on the way home from the club. And that's what
0: you do. Okay, now I need to know what doner sauce is. I'm not into so it. So when I so my my um, on its own. My first impression or my first time hearing of doner uh, was Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. yeah, they they reference yeah. it multiple times and I kind of just mm-hmm. always assumed it was like a pizza or a fast food chain or something like that. I never knew it was like its own like Canadian fusion thing.
1: It's a shawarma with a with a different sauce, really.
0: So apparently what it, it is way. is sweetened condensed milk, white vinegar and garlic powder. Yeah. That sounds yeah. very interesting. So it does it have a little sweetness to it, the donair sauce? It's definitely sweeter. Yeah, and it's not
1: Despite the fact that there's garlic powder in it, it's not garlicky. It's, no, it, it's, the, it's, the ratio
0: doesn't seem like it's heavy in garlic.
1: It's not garlicky. So, it I don't know. It, it can hit you the wrong way. It can definitely. It's it can definitely, you know, there's it's divisive. You know, some people love them. Some people swear by them. Some people, it's like a it's like a religion. Mm. Others, it's kind of like eh. You know, in similar in a similar way, like poutine. I personally don't understand why poutine isn't more popular because it's it seems like the most American thing I could drink. If you were to dream up the most American thing ever, it would be poutine, and yet somehow poutine is like from Quebec, Canada. Like it's just it seems strange. Um fries, gravy, and cheese, I mean, good lord, like that's what else fries is. Fries and more gravy American? is
0: such a good combo, man.
1: It's great. I, it's it's so great. Amazing. Although here's the thing. It's like a good poutine is made or break, made made or broken by the by the gravy. Mm-hmm. If the gravy's not good, you're not gonna like it. If it's you know, if it's, if there's too much flour in it it's, it's too, it's like glue, it's not, it's not yeah, good. Yeah. Where it gets crazy is, and you know, if you're in Montreal and I, my mouth is watering, you got to get yourself a smoked pork poutine or a pulled pork poutine. It starts to get crazy. Like the things that you can put in a poutine, you know, onions, uh, you know, peppers, like there's like, you can get pizza poutine. You can get, there's all kinds of crazy, uh, poutine variations, um. That are just incredible. And again, it's the most incredible, it's the perfect drunk food. It's the most incredible drunk food. So, like, you're Montreal partying, on your way home, you get a poutine. That's what you do. And it's just like, and it, it just holds you down. It's hearty, it's great for the winter. It's like a, you know, it's like a hearty food, it's uh, stabilizing. It's just wonderful.
0: Hell yeah. There's a, a product that it was like Montreal smoked meat. Or something like that? Yeah. Like, are, are yeah, you... it's a famous spot. Is There's that... a couple of famous spots there. So is that like how different is that from
1: like corned beef? It's different. Uh how is it different? Um just a different spice blend? Like it's smokier for sure. Okay. It's smokier, it's fattier. Hmm. Is it delicious? It's so delicious. It's okay. absolutely delicious. And you gotta stand in line and wait for one. You go to Montreal. There's a couple spots. There's I, I can't remember the name of the, the the famous spot, but you're in you're in Montreal. You got to get one. You got to yeah. do it. You got to do a poutine. I can't. I honestly, I still can't believe that poutine isn't like the rage in the states. You know, I mean, I know LA is like a food truck city, but like even poutine is a food truck thing too. So
0: it's a. Uh, I think it's a lot bigger in. I think it's a lot bigger in like Wisconsin, and like Middle America, and not so I mean, much
1: cheese curd. Cheese curd, fucking. Yeah, Central's Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, so I think it's more of a middle America thing and less of a coast thing. So I don't think you get poutine really as much in the cities. Yeah, uh, as much as anything, it's like kind of viewed as a little po donkey for you know. But for it is delicious. I mean, I used to love you know going up. We used to go up to Langley, BC. Okay, and go and they had the uh, it was they had the IMAX before you know anyone else had the IMAX. And so we'd go up there and get some poutine, you know, maybe stop at the white spot, you know, just something like that. And and uh, go see like a three D movie or something like that or, or something <laughs> yeah. back in the day. Hella fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Bellingham is a beautiful spot, man. I played there before. It's a beautiful town.
0: Beautiful town, not great to play hip hop. Um, mm. they do not embrace the hip hop there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. unless you are, you know, famous. And right. they're like, "Oh, come in here! Like, let us milk you for your, you know, all of yes. your dollars." And then, and then they're very <laughs> happy about it. But. Yeah. What about? Okay, well, I got one more food item that I want to ask you about, and okay. then, and then I'll let you go if you want. Uh, Saskatoon berries. I don't know what those are. You don't know what these are? Okay, I was. I mean Saskatoon.
1: I was just there in January. It's. I love Saskatoon. It's a great town.
0: So apparently, there's it's a, a real gem. It, it's named after the berry. Or, or the region or something? Okay, but the point is, is that there's right? a berry named Saskatoon Berry. Apparently, it's delicious. You're schooling me. I don't know. If you haven't heard about it, I don't know. Saskatoon berries. I've never heard of it. Saskatoon Service Berry is what is, is the actual, or is what they call it. It looks kind of like hmm. a blueberry. It's a little purpley. Okay? Okay. Do they make jams out of it, or do they make tapenades, or what do uh, they do? Well, I saw pies. So Saskatoon pies. Berry pies were like the big thing. Okay. Yeah, so apparently that's that's like a really good uh, a Canadian regional thing. Um, the list that I was going through, you know, had a lot of like regionally specific Canadian dishes.
1: I've never heard of that. That sounds fascinating. I'm going to have to look it up. I, the, the one that you had mentioned is the beaver tails. Beaver tails, yeah. Which are essentially churros, just like a different shape of a churro.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of fried bread things, uh, you know. There's definitely some Canadian foods, but those are the ones that I was interested in. You know, potato chip flavors, the donair. Uh and, what about bannock? What was that?
1: Bannock? Panic? Bannock it's called. It's like um it's an indigenous uh bread essentially. And it's super delicious. You, oh. you you know, I mean you bannock was quick bread. Yeah, you make it quickly and it's like it's it's usually like for um it's for like camping trips cuz you can carry the ingredients and make it over a fire really quickly and and it's super delicious. It's really really delicious.
0: It's from England and Scotland back in the day, apparently.
1: Is that right? Yeah. I thought it was an indigenous uh, thing. Wow, look how
0: cultured I am. Bannock. That's what they wanted to tell you. They were like, yes, it's indigenous. Because,
1: yeah, it was like a camping trip thing, and I guess I I conflated and confused it with...
0: I mean, it's very similar to a flatbread or a style of pancake. Um, Okay, so it's
1: not Canadian. I thought it might have been Canadian, but anyways, okay, well, there you go. British Isles.
0: Uh, that's that's Bannock, what I know. B A N N O C K, right? Yep. Yep. It's a Latin word for baked dough.
1: It's so delicious. We used to do those and we'd have suicide sandwiches. So, su- do you ever. Suicide sandwich was you'd get uh, peanut butter and jelly and Cheese Whiz. What the. the that was, hell?
0: Yeah. Is it was this like a, an actual thing or did this just. You guys made this up?
1: Well, that might be a particularly Canadian thing. That was another camping trip thing that we would do. And. The thing about it was, I can't remember why we would bring cheese whiz. I, I feel like cheese whiz is a camping trip thing because it's like it's hard to carry cheese around, so it's like it keeps yeah. right. But yeah, yeah. The thing was is you you'd eat a, You'd do that because a, if you're really hungry, like if you're starving and you've been like paddling all day, and you got to carry canoes and shit, you're starving. You need something hearty. So like a PB and J sandwich isn't always hearty enough. And so what else are we gonna put on there? And so you you know you put cheese whiz and we call it a suicide sandwich. Yeah, there's
0: there's nothing I'm not finding anything. They're just I searched on Google and they're like, "Do you need a suicide specialist?" And I'm like, "No, I'm suicide just sandwich."
1: Find, just try it. We call finish. them suicides. I like I don't know. I I we would eat them it's it's really not as gross as it sounds. It's like it's not. It's it's literally like, it's well, it's this is PB and J with a touch more savory vibe to it. It's not. It's not. It's not a, It sounds gross, and so people would be grossed out by it. But if you're fucking again, if you're starving and you've had a day of paddling and you oh. want to eat something hearty, you're gonna th- th- give me throw anything on there. I don't care. And yeah. let me eat. Hunger
0: is the best spice. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> Hunger
1: is the. Yeah. I, 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 the as a kid, I used to do. Um,
0: I used to throw goldfish on my peanut butter and jellies, so it's like a cheese cracker. You know, similar.
1: That's brilliant. I I love throwing chips on on sandwiches. Hell yeah! The little crunchiness is, fuck, it's unbelievable. It's such it's, a it's such a cheat code.
0: Yep. Yeah. we made a tuna melt um, at the restaurant that I was uh, I helped start this sandwich shop in uh, Portland called Snappies, and uh, there's a tuna melt sandwich, and you know like, uh, you know melt this the shit in the in the oven, you know, um, open faced, yeah. and then throw a bunch yeah. of Lay's chips, close it, and and cut it and it's just so oh.
1: good yeah the chips where on Prim, where prem rock worked in uh he worked at this place called harlem public and they had he worked there so we would you know whenever i was in new york we'd get free not free food but discount food and they had this like it was like a dorito chicken club
0: mm-hmm. and it was oh, so, so good, good.
1: so it good it was so good
0: yeah, I'm supposed yeah. to. I I, I hit Premrock about uh, coming on the pod once upon a time, and then he got super busy, and now he's he's a busy guy. But you should tell him hello for me. And, and now he's famous, and now he won't pick up his phone. Exactly. But tell him hello for <laughs> me. Um, Absolutely. He'll be he'll come on the show for sure. Yeah, one of the one of these days. You know, I'm not I'm not pressured. Uh, I'm not worried about it. Uh, if people end up coming on, they come on. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna. It's part of the thing about running a podcast, having a show. It's like I'm gonna have to be sending out a lot of feelers. I'm not yeah. going to get them all back. I, I'm not going to take that personally. You know what yes. I mean? It just happened to be that I hit him up when he happened to, like, his career. I wouldn't say, he, you know, <laughs> it, it, it turned up a notch. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a, and same thing with Billy Woods. I hit him up about the pod, and it's, like, right when, yeah. you know, Arm & Hammer really started to take off, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, I don't, I bet I don't even have Billy's number anymore, and um, I doubt he runs his social page, you know, because he doesn't like to be on social. So it's just it is what it is, you know what I mean. Yeah. Maybe if I run into that guy uh, uh, one of these I again one of these days, you know, he
1: responds to like maybe one of four or five emails I write him.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's just yeah. that's who he is. I mean, I had the pleasure of going on tour, you know, with him mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the in the PN Dub back um, back when, and he was a fucking awesome guy. Like, had a lot it of so fun. hilarious,
1: the driest of humor, yeah, just hilarious. Uh, we the thing with him is he would always do this thing where I don't know if he did this with you tell me on tour he'd be like, "So pram, would you rather would you rather open up for limp Biscuit for three months or uh or, <laughs> I love or those. cohead or cohead line with Alchemist for two days like <laughs> so stuff like this It'd be like ultimatums
0: he'd be like, hmm, <laughs> that's very uh I love it uh, yeah I, I mean, like I said, I had a great time." um with him you know we were we were probably together for like three to five days or like probably five days or something like that i think it was back uh on twitter you know when he was just doing his backwoods studio twitter didn't have his own personal page and i hit them up and i was like yo your shit's hella dope like when are you guys coming out to the pn dub and i just sent him a message on twitter once upon a time and he was like you know we we don't have any questions like don't have any real connections out there and so I booked him the tour. You know, it didn't do very well, clearly, because, you know, I never booked him a second one. But, you know, it was I mean, it was underground,
1: just, underground rap booking, man.
0: And in the Pacific Northwest. It's, it's just, it's not easy. <sighs> yeah. It's, we dude, don't embrace fact, hip-hop here in the same way that... The
1: fact that you booked a tour is a success beyond all successes out there. I mean, we did the same thing. We, we booked a tour for Billy Woods out there. And it was later on, he was doing better. And it was still hard, man. It was still... We used to... Prem Rock and I call it uphill booking, because, you know, most of these booking quote unquote booking agents, you know, if you have an act that's hot, you don't have to book shit. These booking agents, these venues are not doing shit. They're literally just like, who's hot? Okay, book. Like, th- there's no booking going on. Versus, if you're book, if you're you're uphill booking where you're you're going to a town where you have no draw, you're trying your best to put things together. You're leveraging what little. Juice you may have here and there. I mean, I've done every fucking thing. From like, I've done shows. I, I, I'll book me a show and I'll do you two free beats. Like this, this type of shit. Um. So shit, man. You know, even Europe was sort of. You know, we thought things were gonna bounce back for Europe. The fact that you book that you can book a West Coast tour, it doesn't even matter. I mean, Ben Durazzo would book seven weeks of touring, and it would be like, we'd be in the. You know, we'd <laughs> be playing for like the bartender and the and the security guy for like at least a week, you'd be like, oh shit. Yeah. Um so yeah. it's always it's always been up and down, man. It's always up and down. And it's weird, man, because the, the underground thing's so strange. It's like it's sort of been gutted. The mom and pa stuff has been gutted and the the pandemic, you know, pandemic, yeah. whatever you want to say. People are like, oh it's gonna bounce back, it's gonna bounce back. But the problem that people don't realize is for a younger person, two years of your life you don't just pause two years of your the best years of your life like those years change you like from a on a granular molecular level (laughs) like you don't just go back to who you were two years ago if you're 25 when it happened you know what i mean so like this idea that things are going to bounce back to where they were is just not the case and so again i'm really thankful uh that we have a good we have a really good tour coming up um and you know the money's gonna work out, and and we've got a packed schedule and everything else. I'm really just super blessed that I can still that we can still do it. You know what I mean on that level. And um, it's nice. Yeah, it's I'm really happy for the Shrapnel guys, man. They that they, they've got they've got some juice now, and and they fucking deserve it, man. Those guys have worked their fucking ass off. Prem Prem's one of the hardest working motherfuckers I've ever. And in fact, you could argue, and I've said this to people too, like Prem Rock and I aren't as artistically aligned as we are uh work ethically work absolutely i think we said, we did talk about this maybe last time but like part of the reason why i i hitched my cart to his wagon and vice versa was because we were we were like we met each other and we were like we're the adults in on a in every room we were in and yeah. we were like we're the ones that are really working as working our fucking asses off and we kept each other accountable um and so anyway it's just to see someone like him uh you know succeed and finally break through a little bit like that it's just you know, it's like th- okay, it's the the world is rewarding the right people. It feels like you know same thing with Billy Woods. I mean Woods, man, come on, Woods has been doing what he's been doing, and no one gave a shit about it for like ten years, ten more, fifteen. He's been doing this stuff,
0: yeah, this dark, weird, uh, like heavy hip hop shit. I had Super Crown Flight Brothers mixtapes like way back. Yeah, you know what I mean, like ridiculous.
1: Good lord! And so like to see to see him winning having stuck to his... Gu- That's the other thing, too. He stuck to his fucking guns on it and barreled his way through the haters and all the people that didn't get it, and here he is on top of the world. It's like, fuck, thank God. You know, thank God that the world is actually, like, rewarding those people. You know? Okay. So, fuck.
0: Hell, yeah. You know? And then you're on that list, too, and you're you you're <laughs> right there. I'm the ready to retire, man. <laughs> I'm ready to retire. Hell,
1: yeah. I'm re- I mean, where where is... I thought I thought Dadson was going to retire me. There's some there's some really great pad players coming up that I'm I'm really happy for that are really doing it the right way and succeeding, and so I'm really happy. Um, and I do generally feel like I'm leaving the world in a. If I were to retire, I'm not going to retire. Obviously, I'm a lifer, but I'm happy to leave the world in a better space than I found it for sure. I feel like, not that that's my fault or whatever, but just uh, musically, I th- we're in a wonderful time, man. It's a, it's a, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. What a time you know what to I mean? be alive! Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yes, sir. Thanks, thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate you.
0: Yeah, of course. Is there any uh, anything you want to plug on the way out? Anything you want to shout out to? Uh, anything whatsoever? Tell um, people where to find you.
1: I definitely want to shout out uh, Fake Four uh, for putting Occam's Blazer on, um, and for believing in us. And, and just it's such a weird record. I'm so happy to be part of. So really excited. Do check out Occam's Blazer. Um, it's 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 a wild ride. Um, it's on fake four Bandcamp, camp, Ockham, everything. Occam's blazer. O C A O C K H A M is how to spell Occam. Um, and, uh, yeah, definitely check out my solo stuff. I just, I put out my first solo record ever in January on Herbnet records called disclaimer. Um, beautiful artwork done by, um, uh, award-winning illustrator and friend, Peter, uh, diamond. Um, Check it out, support it. Uh it's it's also an interesting eclectic mix of things and uh really deep musical journey on there. So check that out. Uh check me out everywhere uh, at Fresh Kills, F R E S H K I L S, um, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and uh I just really any and all support is heavily appreciated. Man. I'm still here because of it and uh you know, i'm just supremely uh blessed and, and thankful to just again still be here. Um because of all y'all. So big thank you. Um, yeah. I'm, that that's that privilege is not lost on me. So thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, we thank you for being a guest on here. And in that vein, I actually want to uh, debut a brand new yeah. sounder because we appreciate you, Kills. And we want you to be appreciated. So on that note. Thank you for being a guest. <laughs> Coming on the pod Best guest of them all And if you had your own part And
1: wanted one of us on too, You
0: would see the bestest guest Would not be me And the sure description said Thank you for being a guest Incredible that was uh, Selena Flores on the vocals. Selena's first time on the pod. Incredible. Yeah, so thank you for being a guest. Seriously, um, I will say you are one of my favorite people in the world, musically hey. and as a person. Uh, I thank seriously you. appreciate you, everything that you do. Much love, man. Thank you.
1: Um, you're, the, you're the man, dude. It's great to be here, and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks so much. Uh, and check out that new Occam's Blazer single featuring Shrapnel. Which yes. will be out by the time you hear this.
0: Yep. Yep. And we're going to play it at the end so oh you shit. can hear it. Uh, the message by Occam's Blazers. So make sure you stay tuned till the end. And on that note, it's good scene. Peace. Yeah. 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 One time, one time. Run it back. Believe could your duties. Racist
1: pig with a punish attack and scrubbing away. You stay too long, Pinochet. Don't make you run. As a wind
0: blowing, Pino age Blue cage look good for my age. Never gonna catch me in the no overlooked maze. Uptown haze, know that 94 sour. Lost to the grave of the egos in power. Die nah, from the echo chamber, top Freedom Tower. Blind lead him to the slaughter, logic run counter. Trapping like a halfback, back like a dowdy. At the witching hour, tokyo's play aloud. A parable of talent, a parable of sour. In the land of Butler, Apple future is him. I'm good. luck. And you know how that bounces Wishful thinking
1: third grade with my tape tape. keen on speech, the whole thing's a bit of a reach A relocate to remote beach And where the laws don't apply, just speak your peace Set stark standards, Night King Phantom Of that opera, reckless
0: of burden Black Mike landed here, strength of Samson yeah anthems for the broken handsome. I come with the overcoat, but
1: hold a loaded handgun. Razor is corroded Think before you throw a tantrum like damn sign. Ghost rock, rock, old, supreme with the iron killer wreck on the swamp Slap kick back for your
0: ass was one. Knock, knock, knock hit the hock, and we go. go. off we want to thank our brand new sponsor strange loop animation a visual arts company specializing in 2d traditional animation the founders of strange loop have been supporters of the show since day one as they are now supporters of the show we are now supporters of their art not that we were not before but you know Now we're official supporters of their art, so make sure you go check them out on Instagram at strange loop animations, all one word.